Good morning. Welcome on in to the Zone Sports Network, 97.5 FM, 1280 AM. I am PK coming to you on this Wednesday morning. Thanks for listening to the DJ and PK show. We've got some football for you for sure. Jazz got a game tonight. We'll hit it all. Stay with us. Appreciate you listening. Right now, we're going to talk a little BYU football. Let you hear from the defensive coordinator, Eliza Tuiaki. And first, we're going to hear from defensive lineman Caden Halls of BYU. Caden, uh, you guys aren't uh, used to much losing uh, in this program as of the last few years. What's been the morale uh, through the first two practices of the team uh, coming back from a loss? Um, you know, I think everybody's ready to go. Um, you know, losing to Boise was tough, but, uh, you know, everybody everybody fought till the end, and that's kind of been the, I guess, the morale heading into practice this week is that, you know, we're here to fight, and we're excited to, you know, get to go play Baylor this week. So, ready to fight. What uh, can be done to, to get off the field on third downs? There's, there's a lot of things. Um, you know, we can, we can do a little bit better um, not letting those three to four yard runs leak through on first and second down. Um, you know, I feel like we're, our uh, corners are playing good coverage. Um, you know, had a couple penalties this last game, but they're being aggressive just like you talked about um, playing some more man coverage. And it's just something that has to come together and, um, you know, that's one of our goals this week is to be able to get off the field on third down. So, And just last thing for me, what, what do you make of this Baylor offense? They've been pretty explosive this year thus far. Uh, what have you, what do you know about them and what do you, what are your impressions of the bears? Um, no, just like you said, they're, they're explosive. Um, you know, got a lot of, ex- lot of respect for coach Grimes and Mateos and um, those guys are you know definitely going to be well coached and, and we're just looking forward to the opportunity to, to get to play them this week. So got a couple things that we've been working on to improve and uh, they're excited to show, show that against Baylor. So Caden teams seem to have tried to attack you on the ground by pulling guys, bringing, bringing linemen around the edge or what does the defensive line have to do to make that become less effective? Because that does seem to be how, how teams are trying to go after you. Yeah. That happened uh, a lot against Boise state. Um, you know, it's just it's just a little bit of a different read for us. Um, maybe you know, play a little bit further off the ball, or um, just so you can see a little bit better, things like that. But it's um, you know something that we've worked on a little bit more after Boise State. You know, making corrections in the in the meeting room, and um, you know, just uh, just need to watch a little bit more film, maybe, and um, give ourselves maybe a little bit more time to to make those reads and decisions to. Um, be able to get play side if you know someone's trying to block down on you and and be able to pop over. So just a couple little things to to work on to correct. So you touched on this just a second ago, but you're going up against a, a Jeff Grimes offensive line. You obviously know Grimey, know what he does with offensive linemen, and now you're facing one. What uh, what does he do so well? What makes the offensive line so effective, and and how do you counter that? You know, going into this game. Um, yeah, no, like I said, they're, they're really well coached. Um, I think I remember hearing week one, they had one of the highest grades in the country as an offensive line. Um, you know, and, and coach Grimes teaches O-line technique probably better than almost anybody in, in the country. Um, he's up there, you know, with Sam Pittman and those guys. And, uh, so to, I mean, to combat that, I mean, it helps that we know a little bit of what they do. You know, they run a lot of zone, um, have a couple of change-ups with it, but 
so that helps us in just knowing how they play just helps us to prepare. Um, but no, it's, we'll have to play smart. Cause like I said, you know, they're really well coached, very technical and um, you know, coach Mateos does a great job with them as well. So. Jay, go ahead. Caden, I know you were recruited to BYU as an offensive lineman. I think from a high school team that never punted. Is, That's correct. <laughs> yeah. But uh, take us through that. How did it come to be that you switched over to defense? Um, it was actually, it was actually kind of funny. He, uh, just saw me in the weight room one day and asked if I'd ever thought about playing defense and I kind of blew him off a little bit. I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm a center. I play center, but, um, new to VCR head strength coach overheard and he, you know, played D line at USC. And then, uh, I mean, excuse me at, uh, at Cal and then for, um, the Seahawks for a couple of years, he overheard and, um, was just in my ear for a couple of weeks about switching over. So I, uh, I gave it some thought and finally called my dad and talked on the phone for a while. And he was like, well, just the conclusion of that conversation as well, I guess go see what Kalani thinks. Um, so I went and talked to Kalani and he was like, Oh dude, I wanted to switch you a year ago, go to defensive meetings today. So, and never look back. So that's, that's kind of how it happened. Kind of a funny story. Yeah, that's a good story. So, the the bull rush you had that was kind of a highlight uh, a few weeks ago, but just is that kind of your specialty? Maybe where did you learn that from? Kind of Kyrus uh, Kyrus's influence on you? Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, getting to play behind Kyrus last year was awesome. I, I was able to learn a ton from him. Um, you know, switching. I'd never played D line before, and uh, just before last year, so I'm still. You know, I'm still learning a lot of, of technical things, especially in the in the pass rush area. Um, that's just I don't know, probably what I'm most comfortable with. Uh, I feel like I'm you know one one of the stronger guys, and it's it's worked pretty well for me. So, are you related to the Haas that played basketball at all? I am. Um, their dad Marty and my dad Kurt are cousins, so that's how we're related. That was Caden Hawes coming up next. Eliza Tuiaki, he spoke to the media, get his thoughts after the loss and preparing for Baylor. I wanted to ask about uh, facing, you know, the the run game. You've done so well against Utah State. Boise State had some success with success with that early on. What did you learn about, you know, what, what teams are doing to try and attack your defense? Um you know, the, the Boise game, I thought that they, they came in with a good game plan. You know, we uh, we had different fronts that, that uh, probably just wasn't uh, wasn't the best against the plan that they had, and it took us uh, a little bit of time to adjust that we really had to just completely abandon the game plan that we had practiced and, and go to something just a little bit different. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't until then that we, that we were able to slow them down a little bit. <clears throat> but they, they, I thought they came in with a good, good game plan, just different. And you start to see games like uh, South Florida, um, you know, in the second, in the second half, uh, what Boise did really as they came in as a game plan. I think you know how uh, explosive our offense is. And I think, uh, you know, certain teams come in with, with the game plan to, to keep the ball away from our offense. <clears throat> And uh, really just try to grind out, you know, drives with, with uh, three three yards here, two yards there, four yards there. So, you know, when we look at um, just statistically, um, you know, what we what we end up trying to do and what we did is, you know, hold, holding them to just a little over three yards per carry and five yards per attempt and pass. I mean, uh, we would normally celebrate that, but where – we, uh, we we came away feeling like we probably should have held them a little bit more closer to two yards per carry, and uh, 
you know, a little bit happier with, with fewer PIs and then, you know, defensively in the Boise game, we feel a little bit better, but we've got to do it. We've got to do a better job as a coaching staff, myself, just uh, anticipating a little bit more of what people are going to uh, try to do to keep our offense off the field. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just prepare for it. Speaking of preparation, let's talk about preparing for this week and, and a Jeff Grimes led offense. What's that like? A lot like uh, facing what we what we're already facing right now. Obviously, there's a lot of similarities and in, in uh, calls and just the way that they run things and teach things and and so we're getting a lot of uh, a lot of good crossover with our offense. Let's prepare for it. Um, you know, we know that they're going to be well coached. Obviously, have a, a lot of respect for Coach Grimes and and what he does, and think that these boys are going to be ready and play hard. So it'll be a good battle. Norma and then Mitch. Um, hey, Coach. So I know last week you guys didn't have you, – you obviously we lost a turnover battle, but previously you guys had been pretty good at being able to get those takeaways. What are you going to do to be able to get back to that against Baylor and maybe even get their first interception of the season? Yeah, it's – you know, we've got to uh, – like you said, we've got we've to be opportunistic and in, in opportunities that come our way with, uh, um, you know – making tackles and first guy holding them up and, and stripping at the ball. And, you know, some of the things that, that I uh, thought Boise did with, with coming in and taking shots at the ball was really, uh, really good. And, and we need to do the same thing with, with doing that. And, you know, I think that they're the, the way that they teach their quarterback, he's well coached. He gets, he gets rid of the ball. He's not a guy that holds on to it for a long time. He's got a really, really good timing and, and their scheme is, uh, is, is good. It's hard to defend. And so we just got to keep, keep coaching it and keep getting after it. And, and when we have those opportunities, we've got to capitalize. Just how hard is it to defend those passes and to try not to draw one of those PI penalties and, but still wanting to, to get a breakaway, take away, or at least a pass breakup or something. Just how hard is it to be able to get players to just get it right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good question. I think you, you look at, uh, you look at corners, right? Just corners in general corners in the NFL and just how, how high they're paid. I mean, to get a lockdown corner, um, to get a corner that, that that plays the ball, turns and plays the ball. I mean, it just it's it's a it's the position group that has to have the the um, you know the shortest memory as far as just something bad happening because because you could really spiral if you're you're just uh, you know thinking about the pass interference that you had. And when you play a lot of aggressive defense, you play man, you know that you're going to give up a couple of pis. Um, you know, and there's there's always just argument as far as. Um, whether one was or wasn't a PI, but uh, we've got to do better at playing the ball. And it's, it, it really is difficult in answer to your question. It's, it's a, one of the most difficult things to do is, is play the ball, especially when you have quarterbacks who are very timely that, and, and really throw the ball in spots that are hard to defend. I mean, back sh- shoulder fades or you, so, you see it so much in the NFL now and just a lot of, a lot of the really good passing teams do it, you know, and it's, it's hard to defend. And so you just got to keep fighting and, and play all the way to the ground and hope the ball pops out. And we've done that a couple of times in the last couple, couple of games, which is good, but we've got to, we've got to keep turning and trying to play the ball so we can get some takeaways. Elisa, how, how far back does your relationship go with Dave Aranda? And is there any uh, moments or memories that you've had with him that, that you'd be willing to share? Yeah, no, so I, I, uh, I don't know. Like I know Dave, obviously we know each other. We were, uh, we crossed over for about two months before I, 
I left Utah State and went to Utah. Um, but he uh, has he has a really really rich history with uh, Coach Lamb. I mean, they've known each other for a long time. And then Coach Clune too. He and Coach Clune coached together. Uh, we were all together at Utah State when I left. Uh, Coach Coach Clune and Coach Randall on the same staff there. And so, I think those those guys would be better to ask about those. And obviously, we know each other, respect each other have the same uh, mentorship with the D-line guy that we go to. It was actually when I when I was at Utah in my second year and I got moved from tight ends to the D-line, um, you know, I called I called Frank Miley, my cousin, and <clears throat> asked him to talk a little bit of D-line. And he was like, oh, I'm actually headed out to Wisconsin to visit Gary Anderson and, and Dave Aranda and Pete Jenkins. Uh, the D-line guy is going to be out there. So I went with them. That's I got to spend a lot more time with, with Dave Aranda there and, and – uh, you know, really my introduction to Pete Jenkins as a, as a D line coach uh, and, and his mentorship was through, uh, you know, uh, Frank Miley, Gary Anderson and, and Dave Aranda. And, and also I wanted to ask, uh, will you have to change any signals or play calls for your defense this week due to how much maybe institutional knowledge Grimes, Mateos and Mitchell have of BYU? Yeah, I think, I think they're thinking about it. We're thinking about it and we've, we've just got to, you know, have a plan and, and, uh, and make sure that we're, we're ready for everything that's going on. But there's, I mean, anytime that you have this kind of familiarity with each other, you know, there's, uh, there's always a little bit of, uh, um, you know, just thought that goes into the game plan and, and the, the delivery of calls in there just because of, of who we're playing. Jay and then Sean. Hey, uh, we're going to be talking to Caden Haas here in a second. I wanted to ask you, what what was it about him that made you guys switch him over from O-line to D-line, and just how do you think he's taken to it? <laughs> he's actually sitting right here. So I'm going to be <laughs> bragging about him in front of him. <laughs> uh, no, so he's uh, he's one of the strongest guys in the weight room. I've been on the team, and it's been, the same, been that way for the last couple of years, and just – brings a lot to the table as far as uh, strength and stoutness. I mean, he's a the guy that's done a phenomenal job, a student of the game, being able to play old line and, and uh, you know, come back over to the defensive side and play brings a lot to, to the room too, right, as far as um, teaching – teaching defensive linemen, just the offensive offensive line thoughts and schemes and all that stuff. And so he's been great for us in our room, but obviously been a, been a great contributor and, and a guy that's, uh, that's a starter for us and, and playing really well. Sean, go ahead. Yeah, you from uh, from one D lineman to another, but this time on the Baylor side because they've got a defensive lineman in LSU transfer who I think you guys recruited a little bit when he was at East High School in uh, Apuica, uh, if I recall correctly. Do you remember very much about him in kind of those recruiting days and what kind of a player he was? And I I think he had BYU on his list, but I maybe need to double check that. But do you remember much about him uh, from from his high school days? Yeah, I, I recruited him. Um, he was committed to us, and we actually are related. Um, and you know, it's uh, it's uh, you obviously want kids to to do what's best for them. You want what's best for your program, and sometimes it's just not the best fit. And you know, obviously, he's doing a good job. Um, you know, being playing at LSU and and getting a chance to uh, to play where he's at now. I think he's happy, and I'm happy for him. But uh, you know, it's sometimes it's just. Uh, it's just not a good deal. And so you just decide to part ways and, and he did that and, and we're happy for him. All right, there you go. That was Eliza Tuiaki. Coming up next, we're going to hear from Kyle Winningham, coach of University of Utah's football program. Stay with us right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. 
It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. After a bye week, the Aggies look to keep their Mountain West Conference Championship hopes alive as they head south to Las Vegas for a battle against the Rebels of UNLV. Hear all the play-by-play action beginning with the Aggie pregame show Saturday at 4. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Good morning. Thanks for joining us, DJ and PK, on this Wednesday morning, October 13th. You just got a huge game this Saturday, for sure. Arizona State coming into town, first place on the line. Let you hear from Kyle Whittingham, who met with the media in his weekly press conference on Tuesday, right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. We were able to attend the uh, memorial services of Aaron Lowe yesterday. Um, it was a great service. Uh, thanks go out to our administration for making it possible for essentially taking the entire team and all the staff uh, to Dallas for the service. And so uh, it was uh, good to be able to be there and, and support that. And, and uh, it was a, like I said, it was a great service and, and uh, it was good to uh, have our whole team there. Uh, as far as the uh, last game, uh, played ex- exceptionally well on Saturday night. Really, it was a breakout game, I guess you could say, for our offense. And that was really the difference in the game was the way our offense played. Uh, that's what uh, we're capable of, and it was good to see us play up to our potential. Um, quarterback Cam Rising had an outstanding night, put up great numbers, uh, nearly 80% completion percentage and uh, nearly 11 yards per attempt, which is an outstanding figure, didn't turn the ball over. And so that was really uh, good to see the offense uh, have the success they did, Uh, threw for over 300, rushed for 180-ish, so close to 500 yards of total offense, 42 points, zero turnovers. You're not going to lose many games doing that. Uh, defensively, didn't play quite as sharp as, as we have been. Um, kind of the same problem we've had with USC over the years, inability to make enough plays on the ball up the field. we got to make more plays on the ball up the field. That's not just on our secondary. Uh, got to do a better job disrupting the quarterback with our defensive line, getting him knocked off of his spot and not letting him sit back there and get comfortable. Uh, and then the under coverage by the backers, you know, it all ties together. So when I say not making enough plays up the up the field, it's not just one one uh, issue with that. Uh, Arizona State this week, good football team, first place in the uh, Pac-12 South, three and zero. They're uh, solid across the board. Uh, quarterback is dynamic, very balanced on offense. Uh, good running back, good receiving core. Offensive line is is playing well defensively they're playing well and so there really is not uh, any weakness that uh, you can really uh, pick apart I mean we got to play exceptional football uh, this weekend and and uh, it should be a hopefully a great matchup so questions Kyle of course there's you know everyone's going to have a camera on their mind but is there a sense that there was some closure coming out of yesterday? There was, and that was another positive thing about it is the closing, the closure aspect of it, um, and uh, being able to uh, just uh, have a, a a service that was able to accomplish that. So yes. 
How do you make up this week and since you had to do that travel and Yeah, we brought the players in uh, Sunday uh, late afternoon, evening to uh, their day off was yesterday. And so the, we just, it was really the short version is it was a matter of flip flopping uh, Monday's routine to Sunday and Sunday to Monday. And so we're hopefully back on track now, maybe still a couple hours behind, but, but we backed up practice uh, about an hour today and meeting so we can catch up a little bit in that respect. Thought his performance was outstanding. The second time he's gone over 100 yards this year. Of course, the opener against Weber was the was the first time, and those are the only two games where we really got extensive carries to be able to do that. But as you mentioned, the the ball security was outstanding, and that's what we were looking for. That was really the only. Uh, well, the primary thing that Tavion needed to work on, and, and uh, at least for that game, seemed to get that corrected. So if that continues, he'll continue to get the ball. And, and if we can continue to get that production out of him, that uh, is a big uh, help to our offense. You, it's been two years since you saw Jaden Daniels. The first year, you bottled him up pretty well. You're obviously familiar with him, having recruited him. Mm-hmm. What, what's changed, maybe, from two years of 2019 to now? And, and how do you think you can, he's changed in the ways that can be more of an well, he's uh, two more years experience. That's probably the biggest thing. His style of play has not changed. He's very uh, dynamic, as I said earlier, and, and able to uh, make plays uh, with his legs. I mean, he can extend the play as good as any quarterback in the country. And uh, he's, a, he's a good thrower as well. He's a true dual threat. And so just uh, two years of, of maturation and experience in their system and uh, just tightened up uh, his entire game and so he's an uh, outstanding player and, and uh, we got to have a try to have an answer for him. Did it feel Saturday like Von Bailey finally kind of broke out? Obviously he, he caught the flea flicker, he had I think four catches. Did it feel like something was happening? It did. It did and he uh, is has practiced exceptionally well and, and made plays in practice and it was great to see that translate into a game and and uh, target him a few more times than we have been and and he responded and made the plays and that's that's who we believe he can be uh week in and week out if uh, you know hopefully that's what will happen you're getting a lot of production out of your sophomore and the freshman obviously last year was kind of a tune-up for that but what, what does that mean for your program knowing that you have a lot of these guys that are in key roles right now well it bodes well for the future i mean these guys uh you know on paper at least, have uh, three or four more years uh, with us. And and uh, it's uh, a good nucleus to, uh, you know, for the for the next year's team. But, but uh, you know, we've got uh, some really good upperclassmen this year. I mean, you know, it's kind of a blend this year, but more. And, and I'm sure most teams in the country are, are in a similar situation with everything, everything getting backed up uh, one year eligibility wise by the COVID year. And so it's not unique to us, but we, we probably have a higher percentage than most teams of those uh, sophomore and freshman kids that are uh, playing for us. Kyle, I wanted to go back a little bit to the you know, service and, you know, Coach Shaw, some of your players getting up there to, to a speak. Just what were some of the emotions as you were watching them? Well, it was very emotional, and uh, I thought they all did a great job. Coach Shaw was exceptional, uh, as were our players, and and it was good to see, uh, you know, them get up and be able to express themselves, and and uh, it's not easy. That's not an easy thing, and and it's tough emotionally, and and uh, I thought they all handled it well and did a good job. Coach, um, 
before Tegan from Utah, you know, obviously he was in two programs before that, he sort of had a little bit of a windy road to get here. Um, how have you kind of tried to keep up his confidence while he's kind of been struggling with ball security um, kind of lately, obviously, before the USC game? Yeah, good question. I think Coach McDonald has done an exceptional job of handling that situation because Tavion, uh, rightfully so, has been a little frustrated at times, and and Coach McDonald has done a great job of uh, coaching him and, and communicating with him and and uh, bringing him along. And you're right, he's been in a couple programs prior to here, but but he's really he's a great kid and wants to be great uh, on the field, and uh, we just. Uh, you know, has a very high ceiling, as you as you have seen when he does get extensive carries, and so we just need to continue to bring him along and and uh, help him become a complete back. Which ball security, pass uh, pass protection pickups, you know, blitz pickups, that type of thing are are in that equation as well. And and uh, he's on the right track right now. We believe. You know, we'll, we'll see. Knock on wood, but but he's made a lot of progress, and and hopefully his contribution becomes increasingly. Uh, more during the course of the last half of the season. Piggybacking off that, with the running backs, obviously you've, you've mixed it up a lot. You've had a lot of different looks. Is it more just going with the hot hand, or is it how, how are you trying to balance that out and give guys? I'd say right now the hot hand is probably the the best way to describe it. Um, nobody has really settled in and just taken over. Makai's had his moments. T.J. Pledger had a great game, you know, a couple weeks ago. Um, you've seen Tavion a couple times. Or in a couple games, have uh, have uh, extensive production. Um, Chris Curry really hasn't gotten untracked quite yet, but he's he's a valuable member of our team. He's a he's a great teammate. He's got a great attitude. His work ethic is contagious uh, throughout the position group, and so they're all bringing something to the table. But right now, uh, as you mentioned, it's just kind of who's who's got the the uh, the momentum and the hot hand at the you know in any given week. Glad you brought that up. I should have said that. That was really, the, you know, the it all starts up front, and the offensive line had their best game of the season, and uh, it was great to see. That's what we know they can be, is what you saw on Saturday. And uh, again, like several other things we talked about, that needs to continue. If we're going to have a chance to to compete for a, a South title, then then uh, that production and that level of play has to continue. Following up on that, since Braden Daniels moved out to right tackle, it seems like the line has really kind of settled in. Is that, do you feel like you've found your best five? I think so, and it's really uh, best six or seven. You know, Bam would be in that category. Paul Miley would be in that that group, and so I think. That, and as you mentioned, it seemed to solidify things when when Braden did move outside and, and get everyone settled in, and and uh, you know, hopefully we can continue to get the production that we got uh, Saturday night. We were obviously banged up a couple weeks ago um, with with the secondary and uh, mm -hmm. safety position specifically. Kamoli Latu obviously got a little bit more play. What what are you what are you seeing from that group and and being able to kind of take that next step obviously. Yeah, still a little beat up back there. We don't have all the guys at our disposal. Uh, you didn't see Cole Bishop on Saturday. Limited uh, Brandon McKinney. Uh, and, you know, he played, you know, a decent amount of snaps, but he was not 100%. Um, but that group needs to continue to, uh, to perform. And uh, I thought they performed pretty good on Saturday most of the time. Like I said, there's balls up the field that we feel like we should have made plays on. But uh, Kamoi Latu, as you mentioned, he was the uh, Pac-12 Freshman of the Week. And so that's a, a great honor. In fact, we had uh, four awards. Cam Rising was uh, 
Offensive Player of the Week, as well as a uh, Davy O'Brien Final Eight or Elite Eight, however they term that. And then uh, Devin Lloyd was uh, the Lot uh, Defender of the Week. And so we had uh, some good good recognition, uh, Pac-12-wise and nationally, for, for our guys. Uh, was that the best game that Clark Phillips played? In his young career, so. uh, that's a good question. He's played some really good games. Um, Clark is still uh, working some technique and fundamental things out that, that once he gets all that down, he's going to be even better. But he certainly showed up and had a tough assignment. I mean, that kid is a, a heck of a ball player that he was covering for most of the night. And so I guess there's an argument for that, but he's had some other really good performances as well. I'd have to you know, take some time to research that to give you a clear-cut answer. Just to follow up what you said, though, if he can deal with a guy like Drake London, is there optimism that, he, you know, he won't see a, a tougher assignment than that and everything is kind of going downhill maybe? Well, I don't know about going downhill. He's got to continue to work and get better, but, but that was uh, a great litmus test, I guess is the, maybe the, the words that uh, of, as far as where he is as a corner right now and like you said if he can if he can hold up now you say hold up you know the kid still caught what 18 balls or 16 balls but but uh clark did do a good job we're pleased with what clark did in that game and and uh, we still think that his best days are ahead of him though after a tough non-conference stretch and then now two and zero in conference play how proud are you of your guys for essentially turning this around. Exceptionally proud. And, uh, you know, our goal at the beginning of the year is to win the Pac-12. And, and uh, so far in this barely getting into the conference play, we're, we're in good shape at this point. Uh, still got a lot of tough games ahead, a lot of them. And so we just got to continue to play it one week at a time. And and uh, if we can continue to make progress, it was great. The biggest thing coming out of that game last uh, on Saturday was the offensive, the way the offense played and the way they showed up and, and performed up to their capabilities. But if we win a few more, nobody will be here, right? <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. Um, you've talked a lot about Cameron Reyes and his personality, his leadership, mm -hmm. the fact that he's an alpha dog. Do you feel like the guys around him, the offense, um, and even the defense, are starting to kind of mirror his personality and his confidence in, in what he brings to the table? I do, and I think that's, uh, that's a good uh, – take and a good uh, observation and he's uh, the kind of guy that is infectious with his leadership and his attitude and his juice that he brings to the table and and that is permeating through the rest of the team. Uh, the Pac-12 tends to get chaotic, right? Sometimes there's no dominant team and, and we're kind of seeing that play out here so far this season. Who do you believe is the best team in the Pac-12 right now from <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question, but yeah, I, think, I think the best team right now that we is Arizona State, the team we're playing this week. And so in the next week, it'll be whoever the next team is. So, so it's uh, like you said, it's it's uh, it's so competitive in this league, and and uh, there are no undefeated teams left, right? Uh, overall, yeah, there's no nobody left that doesn't have a a loss. Uh, overall in the season but but uh it's a very balanced league you got to bring your a game every week and every single week you're going to see scores that really surprise you and uh so it, it shouldn't surprise you anymore but it does and so that's just the way the nature of the beast in our conference these games have always kind of been pretty chippy the entire both state games i mean is there anything to that like a rivalry type sense or is it what, what, what kind of the, the attitude you know, I think there's a somewhat of a rivalry, rivalry feel, uh, and we have it with SC as well. But, but uh, you know, just I think really when you've had some close games in the series and, and a little bit of back and forth, that lends itself towards that feeling. That was Kyle Whittingham. All right, coming up next.
We are going to go to Las Vegas. We're going to hear from Lincoln Kennedy, who's going to talk about John Gruden and a little bit of Pac-12 football. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return to Rice-Eccles Stadium for a big Pac-12 showdown against Arizona State as the Utes hope to keep their dreams of a Pac-12 title alive. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 7 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in Lincoln Kennedy, Raider Radio Analyst, Pac-12 Network Analyst. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows. 2022 budget planning is underway. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving check while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at SmartRain.net. Lincoln, good morning. DJ, PK, it's LK all day. Here we go again. How you guys doing? <laughs> Okay, we will talk some football with you. You know we have to talk yeah, I know, I know. the big news, right? It is the headline. And sometimes when you're in the middle of something, you get a question, and you can hear the question and think, man, it's loaded with so much stuff, but what I really want to tell them is over here, but that doesn't really answer the question. But it's really the most important thing. There's a lot of facets to this, and there's a lot of different ways to go. What to you is, is the most important one that I should be asking you about? I, I'm, I'm honestly still trying to process what I found out in the last 48 hours. Actually, go back to the beginning of the weekend. Um, you know, first of all, not that it's, it's part of it, but, you know, my, my flight on, uh, to go to Las Vegas was canceled by Southwest Airlines. So I was part of one of the 2,000 flights that were canceled over the weekend. So I had to drive to Vegas from Phoenix, which is about a four-and-a-half-hour, five-hour drive, back and, and back after the game. Uh, it was an, an abomination of a performance by the Raiders. Lost to what I think is a, a pretty decent Bears team. All compounded with this information. So it was trying to process everything. And then yesterday, hearing the, 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 the remarks and the stuff, the rest of the emails that were shared between Bruce Allen and, and, and Rich, I mean not Rich, uh, John Gruden, um, it's been a little overwhelming. I, I worked for both of these guys. Bruce Allen was the team president when I was playing at the Raiders. Part of the reason they got me over from the Falcons to the Raiders was Bruce Allen, along with Al Davis. And John Gruden was a coach and had probably, you know, four of my best years playing under his uh, coaching or in a sort of coaching tree, the people that worked around him. Never once did I see an inkling of the information that I gather or I got from the emails or you know heard about over the last uh, couple of days. So this is all surprising to me. I don't know what to make of it. The first, you know, at first when we heard on, on Friday, you know, the email about Demaree Smith, the, the the executive producer or executive director of the NFLPA. You know, I'm like, okay, well, you know, sometimes you have a little bit of slip up. Uh, and it was, you know, when he wasn't in the league, so, you know, Connie, Connie gave him a little bit of a pass 
didn't necessarily allow, but just you know wanted more information. Didn't have enough right now to make a to to make a, a judgment. And then the rest of them. And in this day and climate, uh, you can't have that. I mean, you've got professional organizations that are changing all of their you know uh, ideology. They're changing all their graphics and everything else to try to be more quote unquote polit- politically correct. You can't have homophobic slurs and, you know, and, and talking about people and stuff like that, like that, and racist slurs. You can't have that. You can't tolerate that. So with that being said, was really surprised last night when the news came down from Mark Davis and the Raiders that they're letting him go. Uh, but at the same point, understanding why they had to let him go. Yeah, in my mind, as I read through it, and I don't have a depth of it because it's happened so quick, but the, just the headlines basically – you ask yourself, does the punishment fit the crime? And at least for me, and it's a personal opinion, so take it for what it's worth, but I think the answer is yes. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. I, I think it is yes. And I think it is, you know, would you have to, it, it's part of the times. You know, the, the fact is, is that we're trying to become a better country, I guess. And we're trying to focus on things that for people for a long time, people just let slide and allow and it's created some, you know, uh, some separation and respect. And, and, and we, need, we don't need more hate out there. We need more love out there. We need more kindness and happiness and tolerance, if you will. Uh, so, you know, having these remarks made by somebody who's in a very visible position uh, and one of the more, you know, popular, uh, iconic teams in professional sports, just professional sports alone because it's the entertainment, you can't have that factor, you know, hovering over someone's head. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider analyst, joining us. I think the, um, you know, I think the next chapter, the bigger story to look at here is the league will punish players and the league will punish coaches, but will the league hold owners accountable the same way? And I read some stuff about that last night, you know, the 650,000 emails, and there are people who believe it just stretches the bounds of credibility that these weren't forwarded and commented on by a lot of people. And the toxic workplace goes back to Dan Snyder. I will say on Dan Snyder's behalf, and I can't say, I can't believe I'm saying anything on Dan Snyder's behalf, but he's not likable. And there are people who want to crush him for that. Now that aside, maybe he's not likable because he's said and done a lot of stuff in the way he's treated people and what he's overlooked. Do you think the NFL is sitting on info about him because clearly stuff was selectively leaked about Gruden to make Mark Davis make a decision and make a move and get rid of Gruden. Yeah, you know, when, when the whole Washington football team changing its image, getting away from the Redskins and trying to find a new, you know, mascot and everything else came out, you, fought, you heard about all these stories about Dan Snyder and his relationship with women and the toxic environment that he created within, you know, the, the Washington football team's organization. And, and then you heard about the possibility of pressure being put on by Roger Goodell and the other owners to maybe relinquish his ownership rights of the team. And I've always been with the mindset, like, how are you going to force somebody to sell something? You know, but at the same point, I'm taken back to the time um, when the, the Benson, who owned the, the Saints when he was still alive, that they were unhappy with the way he was running the organization. They thought he was running the ground, and there was there was speculation and rumors out there that they were going to try to get it from under him. And then Hurricane Katrina had happened, and you know they they, they, they the, the NFL wanted to make sure that they gave the the people of New Orleans something to to look forward to. And of course, the Saints ended up winning the Super Bowl, but that's another conspiracy theory for another day. But long story short, 
um, when it comes to Snyder and other owners, I'm always curious to how they're going to force the hand of powerful men or powerful people, or powerful conglomerates like that. Um, but there's where there's a way, will there's a way. Uh, they find, you know, I, I think they, they can get things done, especially when you look at well, Buffalo. It's a completely different situation. But the Buffalo Bills speculating that they might go to Canada or move elsewhere, how it was able to find some ownership to be able to keep that, that team in Buffalo for the time being. Uh, things like that have happened in big, big business. It goes on behind closed doors all the, all the time. We just, as a general public, have a hard time figuring out how it happened or why it happened uh, and, and see if, if that it can happen again. What Coach Gruden wrote was obviously we agree, unacceptable, we believe the punishment fits the crime and all that stuff. I'm wondering through your years of experience and interaction with uh, dozens and probably hundreds, if not thousands of people, had you heard anything, any inkling at all regarding Gruden with those words? Did actions meet the words? Because words are words and it's not good. I'm not condoning it at all. But you'd have to think action would be worse than the words because then you're putting it into play. So do you know of any instance where anybody has anything to say regarding his actions connecting to those words? Honestly, no. Honestly, no. I've I've had my time in dealing with Gruden. I thought that we were pretty cool with one another. We were always on, you know, high speaking terms. I never got an inkling of a feeling that, that he felt that way. Never. Never saw anything, never heard anything, never felt anything. Uh, so that's why it was so surprising. You know, and, and the number of emails and then, the, 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 you know, the things that, that were shared. Him and Bruce Allen, as I said at the top of the, the interview, I, I worked under those guys. Right. You know, and never had a sense, never had a feeling that way. Now, guys will be guys. And I will say this, it's not excusable, but, you know, there was, a, there was a time in my life, in my 50 years, where I've used some of those words. I'm not a saint. I've used some of those words. And it, I don't think it necessarily meant it in a, in a, I mean, I've used them in a context or a place in which they were talking, and this is just what you know, people do at times. Yeah. Not saying it's excusable, but you would expect better you would, you would expect better out of people who are in positions of power or positions like that. Now, Gruden, mind you, at the time when he sent the emails, was working for ESPN as an announcer. I don't know if he ever planned on getting back into coaching again. But the fact that he sent them to a team website or a team email, the Washington football team, made it public. He had to realize that this was going to be public or things that were done in the dark were eventually come to light. And the fact that the, you know, the, the, the New York Times and the NFL was you know, uh, investigating Dan Snyder, so that's one of the reasons why they were going through these things, you, know, you had to feel or had to, suspic- had to have the suspicion that eventually they would come to light and hurt you and bite you in the ass, and that's exactly what they did. So obviously the football part is not even remotely close to the most important part of this, but the football will go on and people will wonder about it. Is this Raider season shot? Can this be a playoff team? They had a bad game in Game 5. I don't know how much this was known inside the organization and how much that played a factor in a performance that didn't look nearly as good as some of their other performances. What do you think? Well, I will say this. Um, On the football side of things, I think it's actually good for the team because here's what I've, I've thought for forever. I wanted Gruden to relinquish play calling as the offensive coordinator, mainly because I wanted somebody to take the emotion out of it. I thought that Gruden wasn't able to see the field clearly, being down on the sideline, calling it from the sideline, and no other coaches do it. But I've always been of the, of the mindset that an offensive or defensive coordinator needs to be upstairs. 
see it from a bird's eye view like I do as an analyst calling the games and take the emotion out of it. Call the game logically and what you see with the flow from your vantage point. You can't do that on the sideline. So if there's one promising sign that might come out of all this, Derek Carr and Roman know this offense, also know this offense um, back and forth. Uh, if anything is to be had from this, it's the possibility that you, you get the play caller upstairs to be able to see everything, which might bode well for the offense because they do have weapons, and this is a talented team. They were incredibly flat this past Sunday against the Bears. I don't know if the, if the information that they heard about the, the email or the possibility played into that, but they were incredibly flat, no rhythm. And, of course, you always, I, I always give credit to the other side because those guys get paid too. Chicago Bears came in with a great game plan. Game plan. They ran the ball down the Raiders' th- uh, throat. They were more physical on both sides of the ball, and the Raiders were soundly beat. That happens. Showdown here in Salt Lake City Saturday night. Who do you buy more, the Devils or the Utes? How about those Utes, huh? Yeah. Yeah, how about them? Um, really well played. I got to finish watching the ESC film uh, today, uh, and ASU looked to, looked to looked strong as well. But ASU has given Utah fits in the past, so um, it's it's one of those games of whether or not you think they can get them. I think the Utes are ready for them. I, I think they are. I think they've had enough warm-up, enough challenges through this season to say that they're ready for ASU. I expect it to be a close game. UCLA's already got the loss to uh, ASU, so if yeah. ASU wins this, they are sitting Excellent. pretty. Uh, and UCLA's got a difficult game this weekend. Do you think UCLA pulls it off, or are they going to back out of this race all, all on their own? No, I think they pull it off and they make it interesting. That's the great thing about the Pac-12. I, I like the competitive side. And, and, and nothing is a foregone conclusion, a conclusion especially, well, I guess we're in the middle of the season, if you look at it that way, um, the possibility. But I think UCLA is going to make it close, uh, and it's going to be decided between the, the winner of this game between ASU and, and, and Utah. So, Lincoln, being a Phoenix kid myself, yeah. I always stop to get uh, Coke Zero in Wickenburg. I do not stop in Wiki, Wiki Up, but I do stop to get gas and maybe a snack in Kingman. How'd you handle that drive? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I tell you what, guys, it was not, it was, you know, Saturday, I think around, was it around 2? I think around two or three, I got the text message on my phone that my flight had been canceled, and I was supposed to leave around seven that night. So I was like, you know what? I got to get up to Vegas for the game. So I, I jumped on the road. There was a lot of traffic going into Vegas because there was a, a big weekend. Yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a big sports weekend. You had the the Fury and Wilder fight right. on Saturday. You had, I think, the Aces played the 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 Mercury um, and, yep. and the and a playoff did. game on Friday. Yeah. Uh, of course, you had the big game Sunday. There were a lot of Bears fans coming into town. It's, it's a big sports weekend in Vegas. So there was a lot of traffic going up there. I had a couple accidents. Probably took me about. Five and a half, six hours to get there, uh, and I was not happy. By the time I got there, I was not happy. No, I wasn't. I was, I was dog tired. I was not happy. Well, thank it, goodness they put the bridge over the dam and also exactly. the freeway so you don't have to go through Boulder City anymore. True story. True, very, very true story. I mean, I was thankful for that. But there was a couple of there was a, there was an accident on the on the uh, on the, uh, the, the the ramp uh, coming out of Kingman. Um, there was an accident there, and there was also another accident that slowed things down. So it just made things rough. While doing the game and seeing that pathetic performance out of the silver and black, I'm like, 
man, I still have to drive back. <laughs> and, I, and, 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 of course, I wanted to jump on the road because I knew it was going to get dark quickly and, and I wanted to get on the road. And it, was, it, was, it took me about five hours to get back, but I was so doggone tired and so doggone frustrated <laughs> with the performance I saw and everything else. I was just like, I just want to forget this weekend altogether. And then, lo and behold, Monday night, I get the information that my phone starts ringing off the hook about Gruden. I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I said, it just doesn't, it just doesn't get any better than this so, or any worse than this. So it's been, a, it's been a trying weekend, and I'm still recovering. But, look, I, I've got to worry about from if, if Southwest is going to continue to cancel these flights because they're the airline I, I, I use. I'm not driving to Denver, damn it. I'm not driving to Denver, so we got to figure out something. Uh, maybe Frontier. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> All right, we appreciate it. Thank you, Lincoln. Thanks, guys. All right, there you go. That was Lincoln Kennedy. He joined us yesterday, and it was real important to replay that for you early morning risers because he knows John Gruden, and obviously that's a huge story in the NFL. Stay with us. Thanks for joining us. Coming up next, what is trending this 7 o'clock hour? Thanks for listening right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Trying to feel each other out still. You know, obviously with the, the core group, you kind of know where each other needs to be. But then, you know, you have to you have Hassan, you have Eric. You know, I think that's that's the biggest thing, trying to get them in the right spot. But they're picking it up, you know, really fast. So that's a, that's a credit to them. You know, the work they've put in since they got here to figure out the plays, figure out what's been what's been rolling and what we like and how guys like picking rolls and stuff like that. And then we, have, we, we also had a stint where we went one through five switching and that was kind of on the fly and we were able to do that well. That's Donnie Basketball. That's my new nickname for him. Nickname. Yeah, Donnie Baseball, Donnie Mattingly, all those years with the Yankees. This is Donnie Basketball. Okay. <laughs> Donovan Mitchell talking about the Jazz getting together and being all familiar with one another as they begin the season one week from today. Now, tonight, they've got their final tune-up. Their final preseason game is against... The world champion Milwaukee Bucks will show you if we should meet you in the summer. It starts tonight, friends. Don't you underestimate this. I assume the Jazz are going to start their main guys as this is the last game. And then they have the week off. Now, some teams played five games. We'll get to that in a minute here. The Jazz will only play four. And they are one and two. See if they can go five. And you never want. I, I don't know that. Has Quinn Snyder has a, has that has he had a losing record in the preseason? Because you don't want that saddle on your resume. Yeah. Never had a losing preseason. That's very important. Check that. Now Sniggy's out today, or else he would be on it right now. One of the reasons why we miss his nerddom. I have no idea if I even right. want to look but that up. He, he oh he would. He would be he would be intrigued by it. It's good to get him at Wild Goose Chases, and it doesn't take much. Hey, what do you think about that? Did you hear about the weather today in Costa Rica? It's unbelievable. Boom. He's gone. So, oh, oh shoot. I shouldn't have said Costa Rica. <laughs> My bad for that location. Uh, Guam. Did you hear about the weather in Guam? Good call. <laughs> All right. We'll have the action for you tonight. Tip-off is set for 7 o'clock. Our coverage on the zone begins 
with the pregame Jake Scott, Tim Lacombe at 6 p.m. We'll talk to Jake Scott, and he is Mr. Jazz Insider now. He'll join us in about an hour and a half. Trent Forrest is at the NBA concussion protocol. He smacked his head the other night, so he'll be out for a little bit, and he'll have a week to recover because, as I said, the Jazz don't start the season until a week from tonight. There you go. That is the Jazz situation right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Hashtag NBA. It's good for the organization. Uh, you know, that's something that, you know, everybody wanted. Uh, you know, I've always said that, uh, you know, I believe uh, that it gives us the best, you know, chance to win. We are better team, you know, with them than without, uh, you know, that's for sure. So I'm happy that, you know, things are resolved and, you know, we can move on and, you know, try to, try to be a better team. That's Embiid, as you know, talking about the return of Ben Simmons. I agree with him. Simmons makes them a better team. I don't know if they're a team that I would look to as far as winning at all, but certainly Simmons is going to make them a better team, and he rejoined the team. I think he's got to be in the uh, some form of protocol. He can't practice with them until Friday. Uh, so I was listening to some people driving in this morning, and they were talking about, well, that implies, underscore is implies, that he's not fully vaccinated because if you're fully vaccinated and pass the test, you're ready to go. But he can't join them for any team activities until Friday. So I don't know if that's going to be an issue, as it is, obviously, with the daily soap opera that surrounds Kyrie Irving, uh, Nets GM Sean Marks. The Australian said the organization has got no choice and they want him away from the team until he's able to for- fully participate so either you're in or you're out we talked about that yesterday at the end of the show as far as that goes Memphis guard Dylan Brooks who played so well against the Jazz kid out of Oregon he's gonna miss the start of the season to ensure that he fully recovers from a broken left hand and so his hand hyperextended that he broke in a preseason practice he's an integral part of that young rising team and he'll have plenty of time now the Lakers, man. The Lakers, they played five games. You know what they went in the in the preseason? It's got to be LeBron's worst preseason record ever. It's a taint on his resume for sure. Dropped to 0-5. And, and he said that, and they've only had the their stars, if you consider Russell Westbrook a star. Certainly he was at one time. And Anthony Davis, and obviously LeBron is, no question about that. And big LeBron says, it's going to take a minute for us to become the team that we know we are going to be capable of being. We're going to have moments where we're not quite right there. We may take step backwards, but it's all part of dot, dot, dot. I think nothing is worth having if it's not worth worth working for. Nothing is worth having if it's not worth working for. I agree with him, except on one occurrence, one situation. Inheritance. Inheritance is awesome if you should be fortunate enough to get it. And you don't have to work for it. Now, my both of my parents are gone. And combined, they left me a collective zero dollars. Zero. Zero dollars. <laughs> so, certainly, inheritance is worth having. That's why people go to court, especially when a guy gets married later or you know, he, re- he remarries and whatnot. What was it? Do you remember that Anna Nicole uh, gal? She's some playmate gal. Yeah. And she married some, like, she was in her, what, 20s, married some oil tycoon. Yep. Uh, who was like, like 89, 90. Mm-hmm. And obviously he had millions of dollars. And they got married. He might even have been in a wheelchair. And on the Tonight Show, Jay Leno 
said, well, how are they going to consummate the marriage? And his punchline was, where there's a will, there's a way. Get it, Will? (laughs) Inheritance is worth having, uh, even if you didn't work for it. Other than that, I agree with him. And I agree with him with the Lakers. We'll follow that story all season. Certainly, it's going to take time. I agree with him actually 100% that... LeBron is right in saying it's going to take They're going to have some steps backwards because I never believed in a basketball setting you could just throw five guys together and expect them, even though they have great individual talent, to mesh as a team. No, it does not work that way. So they're going to need until Christmas, whenever Christmas seems like the uh, point we always use for teams who have new players to integrate themselves one with another and going forward. We'll follow that. We'll see. Will it actually work, though? No, that's the question. Because they'll have plenty of time to integrate. Because basketball's a long season, and then you got the playoffs, and that's what really matters the most. So we'll follow that. It'll be actually be fun to watch. It'll be intriguing to watch, maybe is a better word. All right, let's move on. 975, 12 of the zone. I know these people. I know everybody that you've been reading about. Uh, they're outstanding. Uh, proponents of our game. They have represented this game in many cases uh, beautifully. Uh, and uh, uh, certainly uh, we all continue to recognize what a, what a uh, spotlight you're in and the uh, uh, way that we should uh, express ourselves. All of that comes to my mind. What? That was Jerry Jones. <laughs> Not sure what he said there, Cowboys owner. Speaking on the Washington pigskins and the John Gruden scandal as that thing continues to roll on. Got a full dose of lecturing yesterday about all this stuff. Gruden's gone, deservedly so. And now we'll see. The Players Association wants the NFL to release the remainder of 60. 650,000 emails, man. Who's going to go through all those? I guess the investigation into the workplace misconduct with Washington as far as that. And the NFL says it has no plans to release those emails for confidentiality reasons. And by releasing some of them that were leaked, that led to Gruden being gone. All right. And then I saw this morning that as part of that, uh, Schefter, the big ESPN guy, uh, forwarded it to, was it to Bruce Allen and basically yeah. said they take a look at this story make sure you're okay with it yeah he sent a, uh, like, he sent like a, an unpublished story to Bruce Allen says anything needs to be changed updated etc that's not good uh, now journalism doesn't exist the journalism and I'm, a, I'm an old timer now I guess the journalism that I knew and loved and practiced with the watchdog for many many years and others I worked uh, five newspapers in three different states for a total of 23 years on daily newspapers. And that's simply unheard of. Because what you're doing there, if folks don't don't understand the situation, then by doing that, you're giving this person who's a newsmaker, you're giving that person editorial control. Your editor is supposed to have editorial control. And the organization which you work for is supposed to have editorial control. So if you have any questions, well, then you don't publish the story. You wait until the questions are cleared up. Now, you can go back and double-check and say, it was was Bruce Allen, hey, what do you think about this? Uh, Are you in this situation to where you can verify this or whatnot? I had a story once 
that uh, involved four BYU football players that I knew had been kicked off the team. Gary Croton was the coach, and they had a team meeting in February, and the four players for honor code infractions, a party, a gal, blah, 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 they got kicked off the team, right? And he told them, there was 100-plus players in the meeting, and he told the players and everybody involved, all right, let's keep this here. This was in February. I remember it specifically because it was February 21st, which was my mother's birthday, and my daughter had a science fair competition that she won and was having an awards deal that night. And I'll bring that, and I'll tie it together here in a second. Bear with me. So Croton said, keep the story quiet. And then somebody went right to the phone and called me and said, here are the four players. So I published it. I actually got with people. Gordon Monson was one of the guys I got with to see if he could help me. We were working together for the newspaper at the time to verify it. I got it verified like three or four different times. And that night, I called Croton on his cell phone, and, oh, he was hot. How dare you call me on my cell phone? Well, I was calling him for two reasons, to let him know that I had the story. I wasn't asking him for confirmation, but I was giving him a heads up. In those days, there was no internet, and it was published the next day. And so I was telling him so he didn't be blindsided by the report in the morning. Well, he got all irritated. Actually changed his phone number, blah, blah, blah. It didn't like that I called him. Published the story, came out the next day, BYU wouldn't verify it, although they basically did because they would have told me not to publish it when I spoke to the BYU people if it was not true. But by them not telling me not to publish it, they were telling me that it was true. And then we all had to wait for like six weeks to the start of uh, spring football. And they passed out a roster, and there was a bunch of news reporters there. And they were all looking on the roster to see if those four players were not there. And, of course, they weren't because I had the story. Uh, And I can recall between the time of February 21st and the start of spring ball, one of the players' families came down to the newspaper when we were down on Main Street with a lawyer. And I was driving to Vegas for the conference tournament. I stopped and call the office. We had a lawyer in here, blah, 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 blah. What should we do? They were all nervous. I said, "Uh, do nothing because the truth is on our side. He was kicked out. (laughs) Turned out to be true. So you certainly don't. You can double check with sources, but you don't give the story to the sources. So they'll see if there's any blowback on that. And Gruden's name was uh, removed from the Ring of Honor in uh, Tampa uh, with the Buccaneers because he won the Super Bowl there. I was actually at that media day that year in San Diego. That's where the Super Bowl was for the Buccaneers and the uh, Oakland Raiders. Only time I ever had a police escort. That was right, uh, the Super Bowl following 9-11. So we had to meet on a bus and they gave us a police escort to the stadium. I was a big shot for about uh, 20 minutes on that police escort. And then, of course, yesterday, all that stuff with the thing with the... Uh, Ring of Honor. Well, what about Warren Sapp? What about this guy? What about that guy? What about Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown. O.J. Simpson. Uh, so that's the thing about it, man. If you're going to go down, and I've got no problem with them doing it. Zero. So don't come at me. I don't want to ruin anybody's day here by thinking I'm saying that I support Gruden because I don't. Uh, my thing is consistency. You know, if you've been arrested multiple times for assault and whatever it might be, and I was just reading that stuff, I didn't even remember that stuff about Warren Sapp. But then you read about that, and then there's this one, and there's that one. Some people have different standards, I guess. I guess that's the way it goes there. So Gruden's out. No problem with that. Zach Wilson, he leads with the NFL nine interceptions. Uh, Let her rip mentality. 
I would just say I'm overthinking. Well, that makes sense. He's a rookie, a young rookie even. I would just say to him instead, I'm aiming to throw rather than just throwing it. Watching that Jets game Sunday morning, yeah, my gosh, little out passes, flares. Yeah. He's steering the ball. He's not throwing Right. It. Just have at it, Zach. You got there because you're a gunslinger. So go at it, my man. Do what you can do. All right, let's move on to college football. Hashtag college football. So I hope those guys are well. I don't know what their status is. Nobody wants to see anybody get hurt. Nobody. Uh, but, I, but I think probably it's a reaction to the, you know, there were a couple guys that were down for the count and then were back a player or two later. And yeah, I mean, our, our fans aren't stupid. I mean, they're they're watching. They know what's going on. You know, it goes on. We, we don't coach it. Haven't really been exposed to it. And, you know, but our fans thought they smelled a rat, I guess. I don't know. So, you know, they, they, they responded the way they responded. Kirk Ferentz, the Iowa coach, talking about Penn State. Now, what were they doing? They were trying to stop the clock by uh, faking injuries? That's what his being up And the fans were booing. I called him, yeah. All right, there you go. Uh, I was watching some of that game, but not a lot. I was focused on Oklahoma and Texas in the morning on Saturday. And Oklahoma coach Lincoln Riley says not planning and naming a starting quarterback against TCU because you got the freshman Caleb Williams came in. Spencer Rather, who was the Heisman Trophy candidate leader, and now possibly being benched, and Rattler's not much of a, a team player, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, because uh, I actually understand that. Team player, uh, I want to play in the NFL. Not a team player. Was it Charlie Brewer? I mean, come on. So we'll see who the mystery starting quarterback is for the Oklahoma Sooners when they get to that point on Saturday. All right, let's move on. 97.5, 1280 to zone. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Pitched by Hendricks. And Jose drills it deep to left field. And you can kiss it goodbye. A three-run jack for Jose Altuve. Ten to one Astros. First pitch. And a fly ball. Deep center. Going back Kane at the wall. That is good! Freddy! First pitch. And he sends a shockwave through the ball. Garcia delivers. There's a fly ball to right field. Well hit. Bryant going back to the wall, and it is gone. Mookie Betts goes the other way, and the Dodgers take a four to nothing lead. Okay, that is the highlights in MLB. Now, in keeping with DJ tradition, I have to mention Charlie Steiner because we have like seven voices, but he only knows that Charlie Steiner is the play-by-play guy for the Dodgers, so he mentions him. That was Charlie Steiner at the end. Somebody hit a home run for the Dodgers. Dodgers, of course, win. Force game five. Too bad it can't be game seven. I wish Commissioner Uberoth would do that. Make it be a seven-game series. Now, he's not the commissioner now, but I can't remember the commissioner's name. Rob Manfred. Uh, Rob, blinded by the light, Manfred. Yeah, there you go. So they won't have a game seven. They'll have a game five tomorrow night. Right? That's to, it should be tomorrow night. Today's a travel day. Tomorrow night, seven o'clock yeah, in looking, San Francisco. Looking forward to that. That thing place ought to be electric. There, two franchises that had phenomenal seasons, and one of their season is going to end tomorrow night. The Braves ended the Brewer season. You heard Freddie Freeman. Hitting a home run in the bottom of the eighth inning, and they win 5-4. to four. Astros smother the White Sox. They will play Boston, the Boston Red Sox, in the ALCS with the winner, obviously, to go to the World Series. Baseball winding down, but at the same time heating up. And the report's out there that the Yankees are going to retain Aaron Boone. 
see what happens there. He'll be retained, but eventually he'll be fired. That's sort of the way it works. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That is Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up, we got Riley Jensen joining us at 8. Jake Scott. 8.30, Eric Walden of the uh, Salt Lake Tribune. Talk about the jazz, because it's going to be jazz season here very soon, and we're going to have to include them into our daily discussion. But for next, what is a rivalry and who is a rival? Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over. Until it's over. It's a trip to the Lone Star State for the Cougars as BYU heads to Waco for a massive showdown against Baylor as the Cougars look to knock off a future Big 12 opponent. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Thanks for joining us at 7.30 this morning. DJ's off today. I'm PK. Get on Twitter. Get on our app. Give me some response. I need your help today. Hot takes or toast. And it's brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Are you losing your hair? Well, it's 2021 and you don't have to. UFP Hair Restoration offers a range of cutting-edge therapies to restore your thick hair permanently. Just text HAIR. H-A-I-R to 801-960-3137. 960-3137, and you'll get 15% off any hair loss treatment, or you can visit www.utahairmd.com. All right, huge games this weekend. I think the Aggies should roll over UNLV. I know Blake Anderson has said they're in the games, and UNLV has been playing well in terms of Competitive nature, but they should still win. He's saying Bonner's the healthiest he's been since the end of, uh, well, training camp, basically, or going back to spring ball. So with that in mind, I expect them to roll. The other two, not so sure. BYU at Baylor, nice. A pre-Big 12 conference matchup. It's a preview. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I always like it when they play Pac-12 teams, particularly Pac-12 South teams, which they're playing four of this year. That's way cool. They got Washington State here later on this season up there in Pullman. Uh, But if you can't play those teams, to me, I'd like to see play Mountain West. Now, that's all changed. Moving forward, it is about the Big 12. And you're going to play many, whether it's 8, 9, or 10, remains to be seen. Conference games. And so here you get a little preview. I like it. And Baylor's 5-1. and one. They've had a really good program last season aside, which doesn't surprise me if you're going to stink. Last season was the season to stink uh, because of all the craziness and wasn't following close as far as what Baylor was doing. But that's a real, that's just a great matchup for the Cougars. And then I think Utah plays Baylor coming up down the line too. So that will be cool also. Uh, get a little uh, interest in them, yeah. I believe that series actually starts next year. Right, exactly. So that'll be fun. Baylor all of a sudden having a connection to uh, BYU and Utah. 
and give us something, uh, a little extra juice to it. So looking forward to that game. And then, now that's a non-conference game, obviously, but a huge, huge conference game on Saturday at 8 o'clock at Rice Eccles Stadium between the Sun Devils, the hated, despicable Sun Devils, and your University of Utah Utes. There you go, huh? Huge matchup. The only two teams left in the conference that do not have a blemish on their conference record. Now, both teams have lost to BYU because, as you know, BYU dominates not only the Pac-12 South, but the world. The football field is our campus or something like that. That's what it says. Outside of Boise. Ah, well, it's just a non-conference game. They didn't get up for that game. I mean, come on. Who cares? So, as far as the Pac-12 South, right, there you go. Huge game. Now, Kyle Whittingham, everything got uh, reversed because the players and the uh, whole football program went down to the Dallas area on Monday and were at the funeral of uh, Aaron Lowe. And uh, so they reversed it. This Sunday is usually a day of rest. And they practiced on Sunday. They flipped what they do on Monday, did on Sunday, so that on Monday they could go down and be available at the service, right? So we know that. So the point being that Kyle spoke to the media yesterday as opposed to speaking as he normally does on Monday at 11 o'clock. And he spoke yesterday. And he was asked, it's funny because the Utah media desperately wants Utah to have rivalries, and some of them want them to have rivalries that go beyond BYU. They'll never be, ever, ever, in the history of your life, whoever you are, however old you are right now listening to me on the Zone Sports Network, there'll never be another team that will match the level of rivalry that you have with the Cougars. It just won't. So don't run from it. Actually embrace it. But what about these rivalries? You know, they like to build it up. Are you a rival with SC? Sure, everybody is. Are you a rival with, uh, let's see, UC Los Angeles? Are you a rival with Arizona? I was golfing, uh, I think it was last month, maybe. Yeah, I know it was. And this guy's from Tucson, right? Lives in Tucson. He's up, he's up here working, but he's down in Tucson. And so we got to talking, what do you do? So... I have a friend of mine who's a high-powered attorney, and he tells him he works at 7-Eleven so he doesn't have to talk about law. And so I said, uh, I told him what I do, and uh, he, he big U of A fan, right? Big U of A fan. And so he started talking a little bit, and then I brought up you know, that where I went, and everybody knows I went and graduated from ASU, and... He said, "Well, yeah, Utah's or BYU, excuse me, U of A's football program is so bad. Even Utah is going to beat them this year. Even Utah. Well, I got my my even my little Utah pride, state of Utah pride, going. What do you mean, even Utah? They beat them all the time. <laughs> even Utah? Come on! I think they got them once in Tucson when the Utes were good. Uh, they lost. Uh, the Utes lost in overtime." In that game, uh, Travis Wilson, I think, was the quarterback then. So you don't really have a rivalry with the U of A. But do the Utes have a rival with Arizona State? 
Let's listen and see what Kyle thinks about that. You know, I think there's a somewhat of a rivalry, rivalry feel, and we have it with SC as well. But I think really when you've had some close games in the series and, and a little bit of back and forth, that lends itself towards that feeling. A little bit of a rivalry feel to it. Now, that, that's, that's always tricky when you go the two R's, how you can roll it off the tongue, rivalry feel. Wivalry feel. Yeah, you end up with uh, Woodward Road. You change them to W's, <laughs> Rascally Wabbit. <laughs> so Kyle got through that. Uh, the Utah media seems to be obsessed with, does Utah have rivals beyond BYU? Well, I think they do to an extent, so I agree with Kyle somewhat, but no more so. I think the fact that you play these teams in the South every year makes it a rival doesn't make it a rivalry. It makes it a rival. It probably doesn't make sense. But I don't see where it's a, it's a rival conference opponent because you're each shooting for the same thing, right? Both teams want to win the South. And whoever wins this game, at least for the time being, will be considered the front runner for the South. I don't have any problem saying that. Still a lot of ball to be played. It's not like they're leaps and bounds ahead of everyone because easily you could see both teams losing two games. So whoever wins this game could have the tiebreaker, but still find a way. Utah two years ago won the thing outright, even though they lost to SC. So it's a similar type of situation. You can win it outright. You start to get the two and three losses, it's going to be tougher to win it outright for sure. But I think at the one loss mark, you can win it outright because both teams have tough games. But nevertheless, whoever wins is going to be in the driver's seat and is going to feel great. If Utah wins, they're just going to feel outstanding. Like, okay, what happened in the non-conference was just basically irrelevant. It doesn't matter to them. Do you think there is a rival with the Sun Devils. And do you hate the Sun Devils? Do you have that passion against them the way you have that passion against BYU? Or is it impossible to have that passion against BYU that you would? See, now you're going to root against BYU because you don't you hate them. You want to see them lose every single game they play. It doesn't matter which game. You're going to also root against the Devils, but that has a conference implication. So, of course, you're going to root against the Devils. That makes complete and total sense, does it not? Have they played for anything that's really mattered? Has there been that many uh, things at stake as there are Saturday night, first place, outright first place, open up? Right now, you know, the Devils have a half game lead because they're 3 0 and the Utes are 2 0. But that doesn't really count because they just had their bye last week for the Utes. So they don't really. Uh, they didn't get an opportunity to play that third game. The Devils will have their bye coming up. I don't know when it is off the top of my head. I'd have to look it up. So we understand that. Uh, now, last night, I did a podcast with uh, I don't know, whatever it's called, Sun Devil something or other. They do it every year. They go behind enemy lines, and they have me on. And the guy who does it, his father is the play-by-play guy for the... Sun Devils, and he's been doing it for a number of years. And he was on Twitter uh, just adamantly saying, This is not a rival. His name's Joe Healy. 
many people are attempting to call it a rivalry game. I wouldn't be spouting off things I am if they weren't. So he is adamantly saying it's not a rivalry game. Andrew, who's a Andrew Ute, no one is calling it a rivalry game, but it absolutely is heading in that direction. Every team has a main rival, but it is good for conferences and college football in general for new rivals to develop. And Joe responds, it's beyond idiotic to call the ASU-Utah game a rivalry game. They played twice between 1986 and 2011. Yeah, now they play annually. Same for every team in the South. Forced-slash-slashed manufactured rivalries aren't a thing. Rivalries come from decades of history, in many cases, on and off the field. It's true. It's true, man. You can have stuff that's on the field that isn't even related to football. A cheerleader and a fan on the field going at it, but not the game, right? Uh, What did they have a couple years back, a few years back? Kyle's wife and a fan got into it with a cell phone or something. I don't even remember all the details. I mean, that's just not going to happen at Rice-Eccles Stadium Saturday night. I mean, it's it's a big game, but it really has no implication beyond that. There's no bragging rights at stake. Because if you turn around and then lose to Oregon State next week, well, what do you do? You're, if you win Saturday, you're 3-0. and zero, And if you lose the following week, you're 3-1. and one, Whereas if you lose Saturday and you win the following week, you're still 3-1. and one. So there's nothing there beyond the conference standings. So every conference game is, to an extent, a rival. That's it. Nothing more than that. It can't compare. Do you disagree? What's your level of hatred for the Sun Devils? Do you despise them? Are they cheap shot artists? I saw a gal on Twitter. She said that the worst experiences she had, she was a Sun Devil lady, the worst experiences she had were with Ute fans, and Ute fans hate the Sun Devil fans, and blah, 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 blah. I think part of the deal is there's a little bit of frustration behind uh, Utah fans. Why in the world does ASU hold a 6-3 and three record against you since you've been in the conference? There's no excuse for that, except there is an excuse for that. I think they got gotcha. you four straight times when you weren't prepared to be a fully stocked roster of Pac-12 players. So you lost some games early, which makes it a little bit unusual that you're 6-3 and three against them. I think going forward, if the Devils should win this, or just if they should lose it, I think going forward, I'm not sure the Devils are going to hold an edge over the University of Utah football program the way they do now in individual head-to-head matchups. I think the Devils were able to take advantage of the acclimation process that the Utes had into the conference. So if I had to look at both football programs, I would say Utah's football program is ahead of U- of ASU's. Not from U- not any single game, but just looking at the program, the number of players they put in the NFL. They've won the South twice. The Devils have only won once. They've had far more consistency. The Devils are 
their their consistency is wrapped up in mediocrity. That's where they're consistent in their mediocrity. Seven and five, those types of things. Seven and five, and then you get an easier bowl opponent because it's down the list, and you win that, and you feel good about yourselves because you won eight games. But meanwhile, you are out of the race for the South by November 1st. I think just about any team can stay in the race until they get to November. And then the true contenders have separated themselves and distanced themselves from the pack by the time we get to November. And we're still a few weeks away from that. So let's see. You can be 3-0, and and it can be a product of scheduling. Sometimes not. Sometimes you're just that good. Or you can be... 0-2 because you've played the two best teams right off the bat. You know, it can be any number of things there. We won't really know until we get to November to see who legitimately is a contender. I think you can play yourself out of contention in October, for sure. I think Arizona, Colorado, and SC have played themselves out of contention in the South. I agree with that. Neither of those three teams or none of those three teams are going to win it. That's for sure. The other three are in contention. To what degree remains to be seen it looks like two of them are serious contenders but we don't really know for sure which adds to the impact of this game so i believe it is a rival but it is no more of a rival than any conference game it has more stakes this year i will grant you that but other than that i'm not sure it's beyond anything but a conference game nor will ever be anything more than a conference game. If you agree or disagree, let me know. Stay with us. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Angela Lansbury, bed knobs and broomsticks. It wasn't raining yet, but it was definitely a little misty on that warm November night. And my heart was pounding, my inner voice resounding, begging me to turn away. And then you casually walked in the room, and I was twisted in the web of my desire for you. What the hell is that? (laughs) That is being blindsided. You guys all make fun of me like I'm the only person that had a crush on Angela Lansbury. You are the only person that That had a crush on Angela That is not true. No, it is pretty much true. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. I want to tell you about the Utah Snowmobile Show. Yes, snowmobiles. I've gone snowmobiling twice, and it was fun both times. And snow is right around the corner, literally, <laughs> for that matter. So you can join Hans and Scotty Friday at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy for the Utah Snowmobile Show. See the latest in sleds, trailers, and gear. All right, we're talking about college football. Obviously, it's a paramount topic in our market, which why, which why, one of the reasons why I love working here is it makes it so cool. I love college football. One of my favorites, if not my most favorite, particularly this time of year. I tend to go with ever, whatever time of year it is. That is my new favorite. And right now, we're in the thick of college football. And the way I look at it, Saturdays, Yach, tell me if you agree with this. I am calling Saturdays for BYU and Utah this Saturday. Legitimacy Saturday. Legitimacy Saturday. I would, I think that's a good one. I don't know that it rolls off the tongue, but I'm sticking with it. Legitimacy Saturday. Because the Utes now, 
two games in which they lost and then the two games they've won. So where are you? How are you hanging on in honor of the great question? The Utes? I'm in a sugar house. Uh, <laughs> Both of our uh, teams... A disappointing loss near San Bernardino in Carson, and then just up the freeway a little bit in the City of Angels, the Coliseum, where they routed the Trojans. All right. Well, you beat Washington State, and they didn't have their quarterback, and you beat USC, and they don't have their program. If you win Saturday night, no excuses. None whatsoever. This is a legitimate win. And that means you're a legitimate program this season. You're a legitimate program anyway, but I'm talking about this season, obviously. And so if you lose, you're 3-3. Three and three, Well, then you're not sure where your season's going. But if you win, you're sure your season. In fact, you're so sure, Ute fans. Tell me. Be honest, Ute fans. If you win Saturday, how many of you are not just thinking South... You're thinking RB, not the Richards building, Rose Bowl. The granddaddy. The granddaddy, as I like to call it. My finest moment as a fan, watching the Sun Devils. I was there for that game. I was a young rookie, had just moved to California for my job. Literally in my first year, lo and behold, the Sun Devils win the conference, play Michigan in the Rose Bowl, and then they win for the only time ever. And I was there. I had a press pass, but I only used it to scarf the free media food and the parking. I was not there at any in any professional capacity. I was there strictly at a fan, as a fan. I had my Sun Devil sweatshirt and my hat. Oh, it was glorious. The granddaddy. There's something about being there January 1st. How many of you, if you get this victory on Saturday, are dreaming of that? Be honest. I believe it's like 97% of yous. And you should. That's part of the fun. There's no team over there in the north that looks that dominant. They don't have any Justin Herbert over there like they did two years ago. Three years ago, you didn't have your guys in what went down as the most boring conference championship game of all time? What was it? Ten to seven? Ten to three? Seven to three? What was it? Gosh, it sucked. I want to say ten seven, but I've just kind of blocked it out of my mind. Honestly, yeah, it's that bad. <laughs> Might even have been ten to three, and no offense whatsoever. Uh, and Chris Peterson wouldn't even try field goals from the thirty yard line. It's crazy. And then the Utes had their running back and their quarterback out, so it wasn't a true test of who that team was. Following year, just Oregon got hot in that game, and Herbert, as we're seeing, he's just lighting up the NFL. Is a superstar quarterback, but there's nobody over there right now who's prepared to do that. Doesn't mean they can't beat you in a single game, but we're talking about dreaming. And why wouldn't you dream that right now? Now for BYU, same thing, man. Well, you beat Arizona, Northern Northern Arizona. Can you be an alma mater if you didn't graduate? Northern Arizona, because if you can, Northern Arizona is my alma mater. Well, that means I have two. I've got UVU and BYU in my background then. I spent two glorious years in Flagstaff, Arizona, and I barely got out of there alive. People don't realize that I actually went to ASU to reduce the partying. (laughs) That's how crazy Flagstaff was. (laughs) For me in those dorms, the temptation was just off the charts. 
and I wasn't going to survive. I had to go to Arizona State to mellow out. I was like the only person among the 60,000 students who did that. But it was just crazy in Flagstaff for sure. ASU was like, it was so big, you can get lost. And it was like, it was too big. It was just enormous. So you were just some dot walking along the uh, main or the quad or whatever you want to call it there. Whereas at NAU, you just was much smaller and you knew everybody and just too much debauchery uh, going on there. So Arizona, you whoop de doo, you beat them. You beat Utah when they had Brewer. Horrendous decision there. To I know he hit. I know he was awesome in that spring game, but he was he was not good. And you got ASU, and uh, the only reason why they didn't commit thirty penalties is because the game was over. I mean, they were an abomination of a football team. They lacked all sorts of discipline. They just did nothing that deserved to allow them to win so the point being oh sure you got those three wins but now and you got the other two that are nice but the big game against Boise man you go six and one you stay in the rankings you go five and two you know what you're ranked I don't know what you're ranked but what I do know is you're not ranked right so you've had one road game and you got on a bus where fans were split now you got to get on a plane. You got to fly all the way down to Waco, Texas. Baylor, the Baylor Bears, they're on the verge of being ranked. They're five and one themselves. They will be ranked if they beat you. And then next week they got Texas, who's also ranked. So Baylor can really put together a fine bounce back season themselves under Aranda. You look at their team, man, they've got a great running back. Smith is his name. And he's almost averaging 100 yards. He's just like three yards short. I'm looking at the stats right now. Bohannon, their quarterback, he's throwing 11 touchdown passes. You know how many interceptions he's thrown? A goose egg. It equals the number of Rose Bowl appearances that the Utes have made. Zero. Come on, man. They're protecting him well. Only been sacked five times. They got a lot of talent. And not only Smith averaging 100 yards a game, they got another guy who's, average, who's uh, running for 400 yards so far this season. They got two big-time backs. They're loaded. Legitimacy Saturday. You win. Either or both of these teams here locally win. You are set up for outstanding seasons. The other losses notwithstanding. Legitimacy Saturday. That's what I'm calling it. Big time games. Big time opponents. It's going to be fun. And we're halfway there in the week. Very much looking forward to it. All right. Coming up next, we will talk to our resident quarterback and sports psychology expert, Riley Jensen, joins us. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Riley Jensen is joining us now, and he's brought to you by the guest hotline. And that is, the guest hotline is the Smart Rain guest line. The Smart Rain 
guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. All right, I just said it. Our resident quarterback played it at the collegiate level, coached it, still coaches it, and also is an ultimate sports psychologist and mental performance coach, Riley Jensen. Riley, how were those donuts? <laughs> hey, man, that was that was a fantastic intro all the way up until the very end. All the way up until the very end. <laughs> I understand there were some daddy-daughter donuts this morning. <laughs> yes, there is. There is. There is. And, and that has been, you know, those are the... Those are the moments that everybody has coached me that, you know, you've got to you've got to go to those and you've got to enjoy those because it's over before you know it, right? That's what they say. Yes. Yeah. Every so generation I'm, uh, passes that down to the younger generation. Right. And so I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm kind of taking the advice. I'm trying to stay in the moment and enjoy my kids. So yep. yeah. Good call by you. Far more important than any quarterback coaching that you might ever do. That's for sure. Uh, no question. No so question. I'm labeling this not for Utah State because they play Vegas, so I'm expecting them to win. Blake Anderson's talking about Bonner's at the most health that he's been in a while. So they should be fine as far as beating the Rebels there. The Rebels are 0-5, and they're probably like 0-5,000. We just haven't been paying attention because nobody does the UNLV football. But the other two, BYU and Utah, I am labeling labeling this Legitimacy Saturday. Because you look at both programs, and they're decent right now. Utes have rebounded very nicely. Uh, but still, it, you don't know really know. Whereas this Saturday, if you win, you got a good idea that you're going to have a pretty good season. And your quarterback now, your new quarterback, at that point will be 3-0 and as a starter. Uh, he he beat San Diego State in the scoreboard. It's just that he inherited a deficit when he got in there. But nevertheless, he looked really good and sparked the team. And then he hasn't lost in his couple of starts since. And then you got BYU. Yeah, they had those wins against the South in the Pac-12. Well, Arizona sucks. And uh, the Utes had a quarterback who wasn't good enough. And the Devils were offsides uh, or committing all sorts of infractions left and right that they sort of beat themselves in a way and take nothing away from what BYU did. But now you got Baylor. Baylor's 5-1. and one. They got a quarterback who's thrown 11 TDs, no picks. They got two running backs that have run for over 400 yards. One just three-yard shot at 600. They're 5-1, and one too. You know, if you go 6-1 and one and beat Baylor, you're going to move up in the ranking. If you lose, you probably drop out of the ranking. And then it puts a little taint on the season. So do you buy that this Saturday is Legitimacy Saturday? Yeah, so... Absolutely. So walking through everything that you just said, I I really hope that Logan Bonner is healthy because I felt like against BYU there were three or four times that, that Tompkins got behind the defense and Bonner underthrew the ball. And I really believe it's because of that ankle, that foot injury that he has. He's not able to push off of it the way that he wants to. So we can move on from that. They are going to beat UNLV. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is that starts in that game. They're going to play well. And Utah State is is probably going to have a much better season than anybody anticipated. 
as far as BYU goes, you know, I don't, I don't know as much about Baylor except for the statistics and some of the things that you just gave me. And I think, I think there's no question that this is a legitimacy Saturday, regardless of how good or bad Baylor is. Because, first of all, they're they're one of those teams that has been traditionally in the Big 12, so this is important for BYU to go and send a message that they can be legitimate in this conference. And then number two, I think it's really, really important that we see that BYU gets back to BYU football or what we thought was BYU football to start the season because they did the exact equal and opposite of what they had been doing all year against Boise State. They, they didn't win the trenches. They didn't win the offensive and defensive line battle. They turned the ball over like they haven't done all year. And I really felt like Jaron Hall was just a little bit off. I know people have been critical of his game. I'm not so critical of his game. It's just like I just felt like it wasn't quite as just sharp and as good as he'd been during the year. So I'm looking forward to see him have a good week of practice. Hopefully he's still healthy and is able to play in this game. And then I think that you'll see Tyler Algier and Lopini Katoa play at a super high level um, just because you, you know you know that their stomach is hurting from what happened as far as last week goes. Um, obviously, nobody blames the game on them. There was a whole bunch of different things that goes on, and they've they've been so good this year. It'd be hard to like kind of pin that on them anyway. And so you'd like to see BYU get back on track. It's gonna be it's gonna be a really really tall task with with the way Baylor's playing. And I and I think you're right. Like I think if they beat them. This really makes this BYU team a legitimate, legitimate team for this year, and it sends a message to the Big 12 like, hey, you're, you're not getting you know, a terrible team that's coming in or, or a team that's not up to snuff in the Big 12. And then I'm interested to see um, with the University of Utah, with Cam Rising, uh, the, the question for me on Saturday night, and, I, and I'm not trying to take away from the University of Utah, like turning it around, because there's a couple of things that were really, really impressive to me. Number one, the offensive line was much improved. Um, if if I were Cam Rising, I'd be uh, I'd be pulling a Dan Marino and getting all those guys isotoner gloves because of the way that they played on Saturday night, right? Because or, or doing something, ordering pizza for them on Thursday night, and having a little party because that was markedly different than any other game the University of Utah has played this year. Now, my question or my thought is, is do we give too much credit for how good USC is right now just because they're USC? I wonder if they really just have one player in the wide receiver London and everything else is down a little bit, right? right. So I'm yeah. not trying to take away from a good comeback win but I do think that every single year USC is a little bit overrated compared to what they are depending on the year, right? Yeah. And, and so, so I, while I think this was an impressive win, it may not be as impressive as Arizona playing much better. I mean, if, if you watch them you know, play in the last couple of weeks, it's, it, Arizona State is a fun team to watch. Um, and I know that there are a lot of people – that criticized Herm Edwards when they were coming in and thought, oh, this is just a, you know, this is a splash hire. But I, uh, there's some things that are fundamentally going right for Arizona State. So the University of Utah, if they can block and if they can play University of Utah football, 
the way that they played last Saturday night, I think they do legitimize this season, and I do think Cam Rising becomes, you know, not not just a quarterback for this year, but 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 for a couple of years to come, and and you can feel really good about University of Utah football if Cam Rising continues on this. Uh, the cool thing about Cam Rising is I feel like he's gotten better every week, so I, I feel like there's an involvement of his game, and and you've always talked about swagger, you've always talked about hit factor. In fact. Kyle Whittingham talked about his it factor this week in the in the in the press conference. But what I like is when he's making, you know, there's some innocuous throws that like maybe some people don't think about. But the thing that I usually look at with quarterbacks that I think is important, especially in college football, is can this quarterback throw the ball in between the hashes, right? Like, almost every quarterback feels comfortable throwing it outside of the hashes because there's not as much traffic, there's not as much to read, there's not as much at stake about throwing the ball um, outside or down the sideline. But in between the, in between the hashes is where it's impressive, and I think early in the first quarter or maybe it was just at the beginning of the second quarter, he throws a really, really nice pass across the middle to strike. And um, I, I just really, I, I really like the improvement that he's making because I think at the first, he was making good throws outside. I'm like, okay, I'm not convinced because you got to be able to throw the ball over the middle. Otherwise, they just funnel everything outside and eventually they stop you. And so I'm seeing growth in between the hashes that I think is important, and I'm seeing growth every week. And if the offensive line can continue to block. And if Cam Rising can continue to improve, I mean, we might we might really think that they're legitimate by the time this Saturday rolls around. And, uh, I'm really interested to see. I'm really interested to see what happens this Saturday. Riley Jensen, college football insider and mental performance coach. I just want to talk about that mental aspect. Right now, the Utes have a – they basically were born again because Brewer's out, Rising's in, they're undefeated with them, with him, together with them – and even though they may not be as good as they think, how important do you think it is that they think they're as good as they think? Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I think there's, there's so much power to, to thinking that you're better than you are. You're always going to go further than, than you think when you, when, when you think you're better than you are. Now, there has to be some realism to that, and there is some realism to that for the team. And I'm interested... Uh, both both psychologically and just as a fan of football as to the way that they reacted to this Aaron Lowe situation was was really impactful to me. I thought that was their best game and I don't think it was even close. And and you wonder about when when teams are closer and when teams open up communication and they're able to be vulnerable with each other, there's huge growth that takes place not only just on the personal level, but as a team level and as an ability to play together. And when, when you have an experience like this, it can kind of, it can kind of push you in two different ways. And, it, it, uh, you know, all indications to me are this, this has pushed them closer. And they played, they played much better. Now, you know, going back to your confidence question and going back, I mean, I do feel like confidence in some ways is a little bit overrated in the sense that we've, we've all been there where we haven't felt confident about something and we've performed really, really well. 
And then there's been other times where we've been super confident and we get wiped off the court or we get <laughs> – and so sometimes confidence is just it's, – it's one of those feelings that feels really good when you win and you're confident, but it's not a necessity to playing well. So I, I do think confidence is important and that it feels good, but sometimes it's a little bit overrated. These guys just need to be able to look in the mirror – they need to know what their job is, and they need to focus on each individual play as if it has a life and a story of its own. And, and, and the more times you can be sex, successful on each play, all of a sudden you, 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 start, you start stacking small wins, and those lead to, to really, really good outcomes. As far as BYU, in no fumbles lost, and then they lose three. From the psychological standpoint, how do you address that? You don't want to make a big deal about it, but you don't also want to ignore it. Yeah, so I think there's a real power in the way that you talk about it, right? So I, I, when it comes to a baseball player, you don't, you don't want him thinking when he goes up to the plate, don't strike out, don't strike out, don't strike out. And, and typically when I work with quarterbacks, instead of saying, like, don't ever throw an interception in the red zone, don't ever throw an interception in the red zone. I talk to them in terms of, hey, just make sure you throw the ball on time when you're in the red zone, or let's make sure we take care of the football in the red zone. The way that you talk about it draws a different picture in their head. And so, yeah, I mean, these guys are all these guys are older guys. They're they're mature, you know, with Algier and with Katoa. These are mature guys. You don't need to go into them and say, hey, guys. We, we, we really need to stress ball security this week, you know. You don't need to do that. They already know that. But you can make comments like, hey, high and tight with the football this week, high and tight with the football, right? Or you can, you can make sure that, you know, that they're just aware of, you know, when there are situations where somebody can be coming in from behind or in a different situation that they're really covering up the football and not thinking about it in a negative way, but, hey, you know, we take care of the football. We take pride in that as a team. We're, we're leading the turnover battle and just really stress the turnover battle and those sorts of things instead of painting a dreary picture like, oh, my gosh, now we're a fumbling team. You know, We can't fumble, guys. We can't fumble because when we draw pictures, the picture that we draw right after the word that we say, when we say the word can't, the next picture is what we draw. So when we say can't fumble, we're drawing a picture of fumbling. When we say don't strike out, we're drawing a picture of a strikeout. And when we say don't throw interceptions, we're drawing a picture of interceptions in our head. And, and maybe we're trying to draw that little red line that goes through it, but it, the, the picture of what we're talking about is more powerful than, than the don't or the can't that goes in front of it. Riley Jensen, college football insider and mental performance coach, you hit on that and you sell it to where it's so believable so from your experience, how many athletes that you're dealing with and teams and all and programs and all that stuff, where that's actually a problem to where you metaphorically, you are drawing a picture of yourself or whoever might be fumbling? Oh, I, I, I think it happens all the time. I think, I think that, look, there's two things that kind of make cowards of us, right? Like desperation and fatigue, right? And so when we, if, if we ever feel desperate or if we ever feel tired, we fall to our default setting, right? And there are teams and there are cultures and there are businesses out there and there are teams out there 
that that draw pictures that are without trying to they're trying to avoid a problem you know they 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 kind of draw a doomsday picture without knowing it right and so when look when you're working with a kid that is thinking to himself don't strike out don't strike out i mean a real simple thing is to start thinking solid contact solid contact solid contact right that draws a different picture and it solves the same problem and so when you're when you're a business when you're when you're a, when you're a coach when you're doing those kind of things if you can focus on fixing the problem and framing it in a positive light or in a in a more um what I would call a productive description, it, it really helps the mindset of a team and it really helps just the overall like thought processes of, of kids and of teams and all that sort of thing. And I mean, I mean it, it's study and study and research after research that shows that if, if a coach can be good at those things, um, it, it has a huge impact on, on the way his team thinks. And that's why you see, and and and, you, and I'm sure that you've said this before. I've said this before, but that's why you see teams that take on the personality of their coaches. They they, they take on their personality because usually a coach is really good at drawing pictures for their team. And if they're drawing great pictures and positive pictures and and pictures that are meaningful, and they're not only doing it in the in the media, but doing it in their everyday practices and their everyday interactions, typically those teams take on that. They, they take on that personality. So, glaze, jelly, or chocolate? Oh, I gotta go. With, I gotta go with chocolate, man. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> chocolate donuts, man. Come on. Come on. What, what are you? What's your favorite? Yeah, I'm a chocolate guy, but some, yeah. somebody like him, honey glaze, jelly donuts. I mean, yeah. there's, there's. Yeah, I, like, I mean, look. I think a maple bar every once in a while is good. The key for me is you got to stick to one, right? You can't, you can't, you can't keep going back to the well when it's donut day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you coming on, and you enjoy Daddy Donut, uh, Daddy Daughter Donut Day. That's a lot of D's there, which reminds me of my report card. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, you're an elite performer. We all know this. You are yeah. elite. Yeah, I wish so. All right, thanks, Riley. Appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks for having me on. Okay, that is our college football insider and mental performance coach. The mental performance coach stuff really does fascinate me. I, I wish I would have, uh, a lot of ways, I wish I could go back and do some things over for sure. Maybe they would have turned out better. So we'll see. Legitimacy Saturday. Are you buying that? All right. We've got a jazz star coming up next. Right? It's 8.30, right? Is that, I got that right? Yeah. You got it right. Uh, Jake Scott, who does... The pre-half and post for us, all 82, all preseason, all playoff games. He don't need no time off. He's there. He's Mr. Consistent. He'll join us next right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on The Zone Sports Network. Angela Lansbury, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. It wasn't raining yet. But it was definitely a little misty on that warm November night. And my heart was pounding, my inner voice resounding, begging me to turn away. And then you casually walked in the room. 
and I was twisted in the web of my desire for you. What the hell is that? <laughs> that is being blindsided. You guys all make fun of me like I'm the only person that had a crush on Angela Lansbury. You are the only person that, that had is, a crush on me. That is not true. No, it is pretty much true. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. I'll tell you about Football Fridays presented by Mountain Lens Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, and agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and also safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Jake Scott, he's joining us. Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. So take advantage of their Save Now Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.com. And we got a smart guy joining us now. He's Jake Scott, host of the big show. You do football Fridays, don't you, Jakester? Uh, yeah, the highlight of my week. Mac and Alema come by. It's uh, it's great. By the way, I, I appreciate the the smart the compliment on the intro. Usually, when you and I get together, it's insults right out of the right out of the gate. So I'm feeling good. I, I I'm not feeling as defensive today. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also a little worried. You know, I'm a little concerned. How you doing, PK? You doing okay? Oh, I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't be better. I'm on top of the world, and I can't get any higher. <laughs> awesome, dude. Well, it's, it's good to be with you. I'm excited to be on my favorite show, DJ and PK. <laughs> so you got Football Fridays, and Coach Mack, he is like, we got to call him Coach Encyclopedia, because he just knows a lot, and he knows a lot of people, and he knows things, and he knows talent. He's been able to judge talent. Uh, as far as what he sees when he's at the games or watches the games, he just—he's just a wealth of information. Uh, what has he said so far this year about BYU that would give you confidence going into the, which I think is a huge game, might be their most difficult game they play all season. Uh, Baylor recognizing they lost to Boise. Well, just just uh, real quick on the coach Mac knows things. He said Jaron Hall was going to play on the show on Friday, and Alema stopped him. Alema stopped him and goes, uh, do you think that coach, or do you know that? He goes, I know it. I talked to him. Well, you're not <laughs> him, Jaron, but I, I, I talked to somebody. He's going to play. And then yep. Saturday morning, of course, I see uh, our guy Jay Catch tweeting out, Jaron Hall is going to be the guy. And it's like, yeah, well, Coach Mack told you that yesterday. No, you know, our boy Jay Catch is plugged in, too. Don't get me wrong. But I was like, man, Mack, he knows it all. And – and uh, he loves Tyler Algier. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he talked about Tyler Algier for half the show last Friday and just what a special player he is and um, uh, and how important he is to that BYU team. But, you know, PK, I, I think it's kind of uh, the, he's talked about the, the toughness. And, you know, Coach Mack, he's an old O-line guy. And it's about uh, about winning that line of scrimmage. And I, I heard you talking to Riley in the last segment um, you know, the, that BYU game, PK, was so weird because it, it was opposite of the BYU team that we've seen. So all the, all the positive things that Coach Mack has talked about BYU all year long, they kind of weren't there against Boise. It was weird. I don't know 
you know, I don't know if that's Boise's game plan or BYU just didn't have it on Saturday, but I thought Riley was right on. It was like it was completely opposite of all the stuff Coach Max has been talking about BYU this year. So against Baylor, I would guess you've got to go back to who you are, right? Your identity, win that line of scrimmage, run the ball, don't turn it over, all that stuff that's worked so well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and it describes what – Utah and ASU are involved in this Saturday. Now, who's currently in first place in the Pac-12 South? Well, I'm guessing ASU because they haven't had a bye, right? Correct. Now, who between the two of us roundly and harshly criticized the hiring of Herm Edwards? Oh, that was me for sure. (laughs) (laughs) That was all me. I've told you. I've told you on the air. Herm is exempt. But it's Farley exceeded my expectations. Is that a word, Farley? Uh, and, and I thought, hey, I'll take you. I'll take you one step further. I thought Kevin Sublin was a good hire. So he was. He was great. He was great. I love that hire. Why do I know that couldn't have been? That couldn't have been worse. I couldn't. Have, I mean, he sunk the program into depths that they're not going to pull out for years. I mean. I know. Yeah, so so I was I was wrong that summer. That's why it's a great hire. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. I uh, we'll see if Arizona got it right this time. But you know, Herb went in there and cheated. That's what you got to do to win, right? Go yes. In, you know, bend the rules and, <laughs> and make it work for you. Well, he probably cheated on to get some of those other guys, but the cheating that they have now, they didn't get any of the guys. That's what's ironic. The, the guys right. that were involved went other places, but uh, go for trying. And it, it really it, it boils down to talent. I mean, I don't care what kind of coach you are. You've got to have the talent, and he managed yep. to increase the talent. Don't I don't, I don't want to know how you got there. All I know is the talent's better than what they've had, and it probably is in nefarious ways that they've accumulated the talent, so we'll see what happens with the NCAA thing. But this game, really, it's just basically an old coach, a really old coach versus an old coach. And what I mean by that is not necessarily age. I'm talking about philosophy of football, because when you look at this game, it's one guy who wants to play defense strong and run the ball, and he played in the NFL, and he was a defensive-minded coach. And then you've got another guy who he didn't play in the NFL, but he's still a defensive-minded coach, and he wants to run the ball and play good defense. So they're basically mirrors of each other, and yet here they are, the only two teams that don't have a loss. And so whoever wins this game is in the driver's seat, but I don't know that it means that you're going to win. But nevertheless, it's a huge game. But it's funny that two old-style football coaches, in terms of philosophy, old-school philosophy, here they are battling it out for first place in the middle of October. I, I've i been saying this for a while, PK, that football is a very simple game. You know, there's there's things that have worked throughout, you know, all the, the time the sport has existed. And you and I, you and I have gone to many Pac-12 media day together, and it's, it's one of our favorite days, and, and it really is cool to talk to all those folks. But Herm Edwards and Kyle Whittingham, from a personality standpoint, are very different, right? You know, Herm's got that charisma and he was a tv guy and he's a great communicator and uh coach witt also a great communicator but in a different style right a a little bit more understated uh, a little bit more kind of middle america say than than herm but if you listen to both of their like their messages in pac-12 media day to your point 
it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. They're old school dudes who want to play hard nosed defense, stop the run, and and run the football because football is a simple game. And if you do those things, or if you don't do those things first, your odds odds of winning go down. And I know everybody falls in love with the cute spread and and Mike Leach and he's a pirate and all this stuff. But listen, it the reason Utah has had so much success in the Pac-12, more success, I think than uh, should have been expected of them. I know everybody's grumpy. They haven't won at all yet, but, I mean, good heavens. Like, it, it, Arizona's never won it. Nope. I mean, to go to the to, to go to go the Wildcats. The Utes have had a ton of success because of two things. They've run the ball, and they've stopped the run. And it, they can recruit that, too, PK, which people always ignore, which bugs me. Utah, I know this year's a little different because of some tragic circumstances with Ty Jordan, and I think the running backs really had a good game against USC. But Utah recruits a baller running back every year, every single year, and they can get great defensive linemen, and they can stop the run, and it's the perfect philosophy for the youth football program. And Herm has absolutely uh, brought it to Arizona State and made them better. So, you know, Utah's a simple game. Or, uh, excuse me, football is a simple game. Football is a simple game, and if you can do those things, you're going to be good. Jake Scott, who is uh, does the big show and he also is the host of the Jazz Pre-Half and Post right here on the Zone Sports Network, closing up their final reg- uh, not regular season, but final preseason game. Uh, what are you looking for? Well, PK, and I, I've been sitting on this joke all morning, knowing I'm coming on the show. I've got a little David James joke for you. Okay, are you ready? I'm lying uh, down. Who put the D in Onovan? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, so, so here's the thing, and I haven't heard a ton of people talking about this. I talked about it on, on my show yesterday. Uh, but the, the post-game comments from Donovan and Rudy after uh, the Pelicans game were really interesting because Donovan's really introspective, and he'll talk about how he needs to improve, and, and it's, it's, he's really great that way. And he talked about his defense, and I know he's talked about his defense a lot, but he talked about you know how he can get better and, and was just uberly positive about his defense. And then, uh, you know, you heard the Jazz recap and all the sound. You know, Rudy came on. He was the next player out, and he talked about Donovan's defense. And we all know how Rudy considers himself the captain of the defense, and should right? He's yeah. kind of like the he's kind of like the safety in in Utah's defense, where he's back there, he's the one directing all the traffic, and he's really good at it. And so he's watching Donovan play defense during Donovan's entire career. And you know that Rudy's saying to himself, like, "Oh, this guy, he's so athletic. You know, he could be such a good defensive player." And it, it reminded me, and not to have all these football comparisons, but it reminded me of Witt talking about the offensive line at his press conference yesterday. Rudy said, Donovan is capable of being a defensive player, and we saw it tonight. We saw how good he was. We saw what he was capable of. Donovan had four block shots and three steals. He had a block on a steal and started a fast break on the same play he was really good defensively, and Rudy called it out. Rudy was like, he was good. This is how good he can be. We see it. We saw it. And, and I thought that was a really interesting dynamic between those two because as they share the leadership role on this team, you know, Rudy's the D guy. He's the defensive guy. And I liked it that he was able to complement 
the other star on the team about something that has been his shortcoming in the past. I, I think that stuff is really healthy. And Tim and I talked about it the other day. Donovan Rudy, there may have been bumps in the road along the way, and we all know the stories and all, and all that stuff. But they both have the same goal. They both want to win a title. They're both being honest about that, that they want to be on the best team possible. And they're both hard workers. And that overcomes a lot, in my opinion, to, you know, the, the, the day-to-day stuff. You know, you know that guy has the same goal you do and is going to do everything he can to get there. I think that goes a long way. And I thought that really stood out uh, from the post game. So for tonight, I want to see if that continues. And, and we'll see what the rotations end up being. But I'm going to have my eye on Donovan's defense. And I, I thought that was key that Rudy was pointed out. Like, that, that's how good he could be. He was really good. All right, so can Donnie Basketball, that's my new nickname for him, Donnie Basketball, can Donnie Basketball's defense be as good as his offense? No, no. I mean, he's 6'1", and he's one of the, I don't know, what do you want to call him, offensive players in the NBA right now? Top 10? Top 15? I mean, I don't know. He's a superstar. Yeah, I don't know if I'd put him top five offensively quite yet. There's a lot of great offensive players in the league, but he's right there. I mean, and I just I don't know if he could ever be a top ten defensive player in the league. He's just not necessarily built that way. Uh, what what I want is I want to see if Donovan can take uh, a solid, effective rotation on the other team's best player at some point. Doesn't have to guard the other team's best player all game, but can you do ten minutes on the other team's best player and really give them trouble? You know. Can you can you go toe to toe with Damian Lillard for a, a good stretch of the game and uh, and make his life miserable? Can you can that's what I'm looking for from Donovan. So I don't think he'll ever be as good defensively as he is offensively, but I think he could be a really good two way player. And I think that goes. I think that's how he goes from All Star to All NBA. Yeah, and then maybe in the process free up some energy for Royce O'Neal to be a little right. more off, effective offensively. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. And Royce, man, they ask a lot of that guy. And he's not the perfect player, but nobody spends more time on the other team's best player than Royce, Royce O'Neal in the league. I mean, Locke will, Locke will give you the yeah, stats yeah, yeah. time he comes on. I mean, that's, right. that's, that's a fact. what he does. Yeah, if, if Donovan could, could take some of that pressure off Royce, I think that'd be a big deal. Right. All right, I asked this of uh, Riley because he's having daddy-daughter donut day at school. Glazed, jelly, or chocolate? Oh, man, I'm so boring when it comes to this stuff, PK. I, I'm a glazed guy. Glazed? I, glazed, man. The, the chocolate <laughs> cake is too much for me. It's, it's like a Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner, you know? It's just too much. And I'm just a simple guy. You know what my favorite ice cream is? Vanilla. How lame is that? But I got to go glazed. Gotta go glaze. All right, we got one chocolate, one glaze. Jake Scott, you'll you know hear. What DJ's favorite donut is the box. All of them. Yeah. Hey man, I love David James. He came on my show yesterday, and he was great, dude. Talk about talk about one of the all-time teammates slash coworkers. That David James is a man. Who's coming on today? Anybody of renown? Another great co-worker uh, slash teammate. You're coming on with me today, and I, I look forward to it. We'll talk about a lot of the same stuff. I think it's been a good conversation. All right. Thanks for joining us, Jake. I'll listen to you today, uh, what, at 2 o'clock, right? Yeah. Yeah, buddy. 
All right, there you go. That's Jake Scott. You hear him today at 2 o'clock. And also tonight, as the Jazz season, they shut down the preseason tonight. they got a week off and then a week off before games start. They won't have a week off. But they won't have any games after tonight until it starts for real one week from tonight. The Jazz and the Bucks tonight, the final tune-up. So you know that the guys are going to play because uh, then they don't have another game for a week. And we're getting down to it. Exciting times, especially given the Jazz expectation. All right. Well, of course, coming up next, we'll hit the most important thing that we can hit all day. Glazed jelly or chocolate. Stay with us. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. After a bye week, the Aggies look to keep their Mountain West Conference Championship hopes alive as they head south to Las Vegas for a battle against the Rebels of UNLV. Hear all the play-by-play action beginning with the Aggie pregame show Saturday at 4. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Today is Wednesday. You know what that means. It is Win Tickets Wednesday. The 2021 Snow West Snowmobile Show is October 15th and 16th. Yep, that's this weekend. And it will be presented at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy. We've all been down there for sure. Win a family four-pack for Friday or Saturday by being caller number 12 at 855-340-ZONE. That's 855-340-9663. Come see the latest in sleds, trailers, and gear at Utah's largest snowmobile show. It is that time of year. And... Go check them out, and you don't have to pay the admission free. Just be caller 12 right now, and you can get those tickets. 855-340-ZONE, which is 9663. All right, who says we don't hit the tough questions of the day? Come on. Of course we do. We hit them, and we hit them hard, which is why I ask, glaze, jelly, or chocolate? What more do you need to know? Those are the hardest decisions. Okay, so I have a question here for you on that. Shoot. Uh, there are custard or, um, I guess, cream-filled ones. Are those swan under the jelly category in this situation? Or is that a separate category we need to add? Uh, I guess I was putting them both in jelly or chocolate. But I don't know that they could be jelly because jelly's got to be jelly. So it's like a filled donut? Is that what we're going with, I guess? A filling? Yeah, but so what's on top? It's what's on top that counts. Good point. So what's in the middle? Because if it's chocolate on top, then it could be anything in the middle. I'll give you your Bavarian cream. And there's nothing, I mean nothing, my good friends, like an eclair. I often tell my wife in the middle of just random times, there's nothing that I wouldn't give for right now for an eclair. And she looks at me and says, you are one weird you-know-what. That's okay, though. We love you. (laughs) The only glaze that I could have is if they're mini donuts. You got that? So if they're the small, little round ones, 
I can handle my glazed. Other than that, I've got to go chocolate. Jelly? Oh. Don't you risk just making a mess of yourself with a jelly donut? We bring this up because Riley Jensen, who joins us every Wednesday as a college football insider, and then really adds a lot to the show on the mental performance. Now, he's a jock, but he went and got all his certification and now has multiple jobs in which he helps companies and athletic teams and individuals with the mental aspect of the game. And I don't think that you can underestimate that. I think I did growing up as a little bit of a high school athlete. Not much. I don't want to overstate it by any stretch. But, you know, I've spoken how I played baseball in high school, played it all four years. And and if I ever swung and missed, it's like, uh uh-oh, I'm a goner. If I swung and missed, even a strike one, I swung and missed. Can you believe that? So to me, I equated it to like swinging and missing in slow-pitch softball. It was the ultimate embarrassment. And you watch games today and you see these guys, particularly now at the big leagues and probably even in all the minor leagues and maybe even below that too, high school and college, these guys take a big old hack. And if they miss, they think, I got two more. I got two more to go. And I would think, oh, my gosh, if I swung and missed, how in the world am I going to make contact now? So one more thought process was, to say the least, not very positive. <laughs> and consequently, I sucked as a hitter. <laughs> and you wonder, you know, what makes guys clutch? What makes guys be able to make shots? What get, makes guys to be able to make free throws? What makes guys be able to miss free throws? Why does that happen? And we know who they are. We know who the players are who make the free throws. And we know who we want on the line. And we know who we don't want on the line. And how much of that, if we know we're not doing it, it's mental on our behalf because either we believe in somebody or we don't believe in somebody. And we'll boil it down to basketball. Who do you believe in on the jazz? Well, we will hit some jazz right now coming up. When we come back, we got Eric Walden of the Salt Lake Tribune who covers the jazz and does a fine job. And it is jazz season now. It is upon us. So stay with us. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Eric Walden of Salt Lake Tribune joining us now. He comes to us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon, so you need to take advantage of their save now, pay later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Eric Walden of the Tribune joining us. Eric, did you ever imagine in the 90s that in 2021, when I was sitting next to you in the 90s covering Utah women's basketball, that I would be on the radio and you'd be on the radio with me and we'd be talking jazz basketball some 20 years later? I could have imagined you on the radio because you were big time back then, but me <laughs> joining you, no. I had, I had no thoughts of that ever happening. Well, here we are, and the season is upon us as far as preseason ending tonight, obviously, with the Milwaukee Buck game, and then they, they go into practice for a week, and then it starts a week from tonight. Uh, preseason... Uh, you know, hard to put a big, uh, well, I learned this or I learned that. Um, I guess for me, 
I haven't seen Rudy Gay obviously out there. Whiteside, you know, I've seen enough of him to know what he's capable of doing at the professional level because he's been doing it. Uh, the rest of the guys are all who they are, right? And and Mitchell will get better, sure, and and we'll see what happens there. I I have a hard time believing, maybe because I want to believe it, because I want to see the team do well, because it's good for business. But I just have a hard time believing that Butler fell this low and this kid could be this good. Talk me out of it or talk me into it. No, I mean, like everyone seems to be of that same opinion (laughs) after watching him in those first two preseason games, right? Like, I mean, there was a reason that uh, he he got named in the NBA GM survey as being, you know, one of the potential steals of the draft. Um, Clearly, we can see that, you know, a lot of teams were, you know, had some trepidation about the heart condition that he had and, and, and the knee condition that he had. And, um, you know, obviously those will be things that we need to pay attention to down the line. But uh, the kid can play. You know, there's there's no two ways around that. Um, he's been great. And, and does that translate into immediate playing time, you know, right away? Probably not. Um, you know, Quinn Quinn is very much set on a nine man rotation and with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley as your starters and Jordan Clarkson as the reigning sixth man of the year and, and Joe Ingles kind of the de facto backup point guard, probably gonna be hard to crack that rotation when all those guys are, are healthy and active. But um if one of those guys gets injured or if the Jazz decide, you know, hey, we wanna take it easy with Mike Conley again, hold him out on the second half of back-to-back. If they decide they want to do a little bit of load management and, and make sure that those guys are healthy and, and you know, fully charged for a playoff run, uh, that's where I think we're going to see a lot of opportunities for Jared Butler to play. And, you know, everyone in the organization is impressed with him. You know, he's, he's shown the ability to score, shown the ability to get to his spots that he likes on the court. Um, is he a perfect prospect? No, he is. He, he's not the most athletic. He has a little trouble finishing over, you know, longer big men. But uh, there's a ton to like about him, and, and and getting him at number forty overall is just, yeah, it's an absolute coup for this front office. It also seems maturity wise, he's off the charts. And listening to him do his interviews, yeah, for sure. That's been you know those beyond beyond the simple talent. Uh, factor, which of course is number one and will always win out. Um, you know, you, you've heard this organization talk so many times about quote unquote jazz DNA. And yeah, this kid's got it. He's got an unbelievable maturity factor, which was a huge uh, component of them being willing to draft him. You know, there's a reason that he was the most outstanding player of the NCAA Final Four. Um, he's got leadership qualities, uh, even though he's a, he's a relatively young guy. Um, he's a guy who his teammates have said, Hey, he comes to us and like, you know, he's, he's not, uh, cocky. He's not, you know, he, I mean, he is to a degree, you've got to be to a degree to be an NBA player, but, uh, their point is he's willing to learn. He's willing to ask questions. He's willing to concede. He doesn't know everything he needs to know yet. And that these guys are in a position to teach him and to help him get better. And so they've all just kind of, uh, repeated time after time that um, they've been so impressed with uh, the fact that he's willing to go to them and say, 
what about this situation? What do I do here? How can I make this work? So um, a guy who's willing to put in that much work this early, is uh, you've got to think good things about him. Eric Walden, the Tribune, joining us. Other teams, like particularly the Lakers, you know, LeBron was talking about how they're going to need some time, and, and I, I buy that 100%. I don't think you can just throw guys together, even in basketball, and expect them to just mesh so quickly. But I look at the Jazz, and they overwhelmingly bring back the majority of their guys, and right now it looks like Whiteside and Gay. Gay's out, so we'll see when he gets back and when he's ready to go. There'll be some assimilation, but I'm expecting Whiteside to not have that much of a learning curve, meaning to a good degree he should be able to hit the ground running. How do you see that? It's interesting because we've seen the ups and downs with him already in in these three preseason games. Um, You know, watching him against New Orleans the other night, uh, we saw a a few of the struggles. you know, he's, he's acknowledged that Quinn Snyder's system is a little bit different than what he's accustomed to just because it's definitely like either we're switching out on the perimeter or we're having you drop back to the rim to cut off drives to the hoop. And he's acknowledged that, you know, it's a little bit difficult. He, he's so used to when guys kind of float into that mid-range area and take a shot, he's so used to going up to challenge that. And they're telling him, let the guy take the mid-range shot. We'd rather have you in a position to get a potential rebound. Um, so in that respect, you know, it, it's an acclimation process even for him as what an eight-year veteran of the NBA or, or something like that. But um, to your point, I, I think there are big expectations from them that he'll be the primary backup to Rudy Gobert once the season starts. I think they really are excited about the prospect of having two – athletic rim protecting rim running big men you know having a guy who can who can go out there and play in a style similar to what Gobert does and give them that rim protection component for a full 48 minutes so I'm hearing the key is yoga when it comes to Mike Conley is this true well that's that apparently is the key this year so um it's interesting right in talking to Mike he, he had told us that going into last year uh, he felt the best he'd ever felt physically in his entire career. And, you know, that wasn't necessarily helpful when when the hamstring issues had popped up again. Um, but, yeah, to, to your point, he's told us that uh, this offseason he got in contact with former jazz man Joe Johnson, uh, who is a big advocate of Bikram Hot Yoga, and Joe told him, hey, man, you really should investigate this. You should get into it. It'll literally add years to your career just with the uh, flex- the additional flexibility factor. And so Mike decided to take him up on it, try it out, and, and he now is a big advocate of it as well, says that he's feeling a difference in his body yet again. <laughs> and uh, we'll see where that goes. I mean, it certainly doesn't hurt for him to try – whatever he can at this point to try and keep himself healthy and available down the stretch, right? Yeah, it's sort of like every uh, training camp for football in August for the colleges. Oh, man, we look great. The offense is clicking. Defense is flying around, making plays. It's like blah, blah, blah. You know, I want to give... 
Conley the benefit of the doubt because I think he's a true pro, and I don't think he'll say stuff just to say stuff. I think when he speaks, he speaks truth as he sees it. So I believe him. He's got the credibility as a human being. He's got the credibility as an NBA basketball player. So if he says something, I don't think he's just saying it because his track record is impeccable. But then there's a little part of me on the other shoulder, and it's, you know, I'm an old newspaper guy, and we're cynical by nature, as you know, and we start to think, yeah, okay, that's great, but talk to me in April, May, and if you should get there, June. That's sort of where I'm at when it comes to this. Yeah, and, you know, you're you're right to be wary just because we have seen over these last two years that uh, it's been exceedingly difficult for him to stay healthy, so... I'm really going to be curious to see kind of how Quinn Snyder approaches that this year, you know, whether or, or rather to what degree he kind of embraces uh, Kawhi Leonard-style load management of just sitting guys out uh, for the sake of, you know, lessening their capacity to go out there and get injured. Um, some injuries, you know, they're, they're, they're freak things, um, and no matter what you do, they're going to they're gonna pop up at um, – you know, when you least expect him to a degree, that's kind of been the case with Mike. But, um, you know, I, I think that's a good reason why we might see guys like Mike sit out a little bit more, why we might even see guys like Joe Ingles sit out a little bit more. Just I think the team is at the point where they recognize we got to be all in on the postseason. we got to do everything we absolutely can to make sure guys are available in the playoffs because, uh, making it to the second round just, just doesn't cut it anymore. No, Eric Walden joining us with the Salt Lake Tribune. It certainly doesn't. Not when you're built. And I believe that they are built to contend for the best record, if that means anything, but most importantly, to win the West. I think that's what they're at. That's where they're at. That's where all the moves, the moves that they made in terms of re-signing guys or bringing in new dudes, it was all designed to win the West. That is the legitimate goal. Uh, and and it's there. Uh, so obviously, it's not the only uh, team. No, they're not the only team that has that goal. Uh, how many teams do you think would be a threat to derail the Jazz? And I know it's extremely early now, and there's a million things can happen. But as we sit here a week before the season starts, who do you view as threats to contend with the Jazz for that very same goal of winning the West? Well, you got to put Phoenix up there again. Obviously, they're an incredible team, and and they bring back you know the bulk of their core. They've made a few additions as well. You've got to expect they'll be right back there. Uh, Denver should be really good again. Um, we saw them really start to kind of come together after the uh, the Aaron Gordon trade a year ago, and getting Jamal Murray back will be incredible for them. I'm really curious to see what happens with the Lakers. I don't expect that the Lakers are going to necessarily have uh, the greatest regular season record just because, you know, uh, as we discussed earlier, so many new faces on that roster that even with them being all talented faces, you know, we've, we've seen that it takes a certain amount of time for guys to acclimate to one another on the court, and they haven't had that yet. Now, by the time the playoffs roll around, you would expect that they'd have figured that out, and, and then we'll see, you know, have they solved the spacing issues that come with playing two bigs and also Russell Westbrook and LeBron James, and, you know, we'll see how they're looking. They certainly have enough talent that they should be able to do it. 
Um, beyond that, I'm I'm curious to see how Golden State looks this year with uh, with Clay Thompson coming back. Um, anytime you've got Steph Curry on your team, you're you're a threat. With Clay Thompson coming back, you you would expect that. Uh, they'll be a little bit more viable, and and I really like their offseason addition of Otto Porter, assuming that he can stay healthy. So um, I think I think the Warriors are kind of you know a fringe team on on, on the outside looking in, uh, potential you know capable of potentially competing as well. On paper, for what it's worth, Jazz had a great season last year. It sucked the way it ended for Jazz fans, obviously, but they were still a great team. On paper, I think they're better. Fair or foul? I agree with that. You know, um, you, you look at how they went out against the Clippers, and obviously it, it's a horrible situation for them having gone up 2 nothing, and then losing four straight, and, and especially losing game six the way they did, where, you know, at halftime, <laughs> those those of us jazz beat writers who had traveled to the Staples Center to watch the game, you know, we're thinking, all right, we're, we're coming back uh, to Salt Lake City for game seven. Yep, yep. And then halfway through the third quarter, we're like, well, we're coming back to Salt Lake City and the season's over. Um, you know, it, it flipped that quick. But um, I do feel like on paper they've, they've addressed a lot of the issues that uh, really hurt them in that Clippers series. I mean, obviously issue number one is going to be health, right? Because Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley being injured simultaneously in that series really weakened their their point of attack defense on the perimeter and and put Rudy Gobert in kind of an impossible two-on-one situations of do I stop the guy with the free run at the rim or or do I take my chances on leaving Nick Batum and... and, uh, um, Terrence Mann open on the three-point line. So I'm interested to see what Rudy Gay brings. He's, he's had uh, some experience in the role the Jazz will deploy him at uh, these last few years in San Antonio, where he primarily was you know, a, a backup four, but also played increasing minutes as a small ball five. So he'll give them some defensive versatility, some switchability, some one through five uh, ability to switch. I think that'll help. I think having Eric Pascal as a backup to him will help. We've seen that Pascal, you know, these last few nights can play. Um, I think the fact that they got Pascal for for virtually nothing and and having him as a capable end of bench guy will boost their depth. And I think having, you know, uh, Jared Butler as a capable extra guard at the end of the bench to help fill those times, obviously. You know, Trent Forrest got thrown into a, a near impossible situation a year ago when both Don and Mike were out at the same time, and uh, he didn't have the outside shooting ability to kind of replicate the role that those guys are in. Jared Butler does. So, um, yeah, theoretically, the Jazz are a lot deeper. They're a little more matchup proof. Um, I think all things. You know, I, I think if we're saying. What's the ideal version of this team? They're probably missing another lengthy wing capable of defending and switching and, and hitting some threes. But, you know, those guys don't grow on trees. So um, they should be good. They should be improved. They should be capable of winning or at least competing for a championship this year. So I'm really interested to see how it goes. 
How much is all sorts of interest? I agree with you. How much do you think that the fact that the ownership, Ryan Smith, is laying out a massive potentially amount of luxury tax dollars, a check that's going to have to be, we don't know what's going to happen. They could change the roster. But if right now, once it's over like $35 million plus that they would be in the luxury tax, and that that's put up or shut up money as far as I'm concerned. So you could have zero criticism on the ownership uh, laying it out there by doing this. But I'm wondering, how much does that translate to the players? You know, sometimes you hear of guys get a big contract and then they and they just feel the pressure of that big contract right off the bat to perform. These guys all got their contracts and they're all set, but the ownership is paying a ton of money to have let you have these contracts. How much do you think that could potentially weigh on these guys? You know, it, it's interesting because, yeah, to your point, there are there and and there have been a lot of guys throughout the history of the league who've, who've gotten those huge deals and immediately kind of fold under them. Uh, I think working in these guys' favor is that they've been so good for the last few years that they've felt the weight of those expectations before they even got paid. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. We've been here in, We've been hearing Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert say for two or three years now that they're not going to be happy unless they're winning a championship. So, um, yeah, Ryan Smith going this deep into the luxury tax is definitely uh, pushing all his chips into the middle of the table, as as it were. But um, I don't see it necessarily weighing on these guys. You know, now that now that Donovan Mitchell's not on a rookie scale deal, now that Rudy Gobert is going to be making. 30, 35, 40 million a year. These guys know what's up, right? And, and they know what the expectations are of the fan base and, and the organization. Uh, and they share the expectations themselves. So um, really it comes down to staying healthy, uh, implementing these wrinkles uh, to, to kind of fortify themselves against the areas where they were weak a year ago, where where opponents could exploit them, and uh, going out and, and better executing the things that they do well. And um, if all of that comes together, yeah, we could we could see this team making a deep run and, and maybe uh, competing for that Larry O'Brien trophy. Yeah, because these guys now, they're making Tribune-like money. <laughs> now, uh, considering that we are a nonprofit, I think you know that that is not the case. I'm not making Gordon Monson money anyway. <laughs> oh, who was, man? I worked here for 14 years and I never made Gordon Monson money. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I've been at the Tribune now since, uh, what, 2003. I've been doing yeah. this gig. This is my fourth season covering the Jazz now. Um, you know, I'm not going to complain about money. This is this is literally my dream job, and and I'm and I love doing it. So and and plus, we got we it. got jobs too, so that, that right. matters. <laughs> and we all know yeah, friends who I'm, don't. I'm, I certainly I certainly don't overlook having survived four rounds of layoffs. Oh, for point, sure. So. Yeah, I couldn't imagine, man. I've never had good timing in my life, but the one time I had it is when I got out of newspapers because it seemed like it's just been one thing after another there. And I feel we all feel for the folks who don't. Uh, who can't say what you've been able to say. And so we certainly respect uh, those and, and and grateful for the jobs that we have. That's for sure, Eric. I think we yeah, agree Yeah, well, that. the Tribune is now, you know, we've, we've been through some tough times. We've been through some lean times. Uh, we're on a good path now. We're, we're doing well. And I would just, uh, if, if you'd allow me, I'd just put it out there that anyone who enjoys the work we do, we are dependent upon 
uh, as a nonprofit, the support of the community. So I would encourage people who like our work to go to sltrip.com slash subscribe and uh, sign up for all the articles that you can that you can read. Get yourself informed uh, with some great local independent journalism. Yeah, there you go. Well said. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate you joining us. All right, PK, you take care. All right, that's Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune, and they are dependent upon the public and whether you disagree with them sometimes or whatever, they're still a valuable asset to the community and very important to the community. There is no doubt about that. And sure, sometimes I may get frustrated, but so what? I believe in the mission that they are trying to do for our community. You may not, but if you step back, it's uh, it's the right way to go. Journalism is, is extremely important in the community. So enough with my soapbox. Uh, we come back. We'll get you up to date what's going on and... We'll tell you what the media thinks of University of Utah basketball. Today is media day in the Bay Area, and we'll tell you where they are expected or thought to be slated to finish. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Win, win, win. It's a win ticket Wednesday on the Zone Sports Network. It's a win ticket Wednesday right here. Win. Listen all day for the win ticket Wednesday sounder for your chance to win tickets. What? That. To all the biggest concerts, games, and other great events here in the state of Utah. It's a win ticket Wednesday right here. Right here. Right here. Right here. Woo! On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Pitch by Hendricks. And Jose drills it deep to left field. And you can kiss it goodbye. A three-run jack for Jose Altuve. Ten to one Astros. First pitch. And a fly ball. Deep center. Going back Kane at the wall. That is good! Freddy! First pitch. And he sends a shockwave through the ballpark. And they're going crazy here in Atlanta. Garcia delivers. There's a fly ball to right field. Well hit. Bryant going back to the wall. And it is gone. Mookie Betts goes the other way. And the Dodgers take a 4 to nothing lead. That's your baseball highlights. Home runs right there. Little Altuve for the Houston Astros. They're back, what, in the... The American League uh, Championship Series now for the fifth year in a row, something like that, I, th- I saw. It's at least four. Yeah, and um, Altuve got plunked early in the game, and the crowd went nuts. He was in Chicago because he was at the forefront of the cheating, not ripping the jersey off, and then going into the clubhouse, coming back out with the jersey off. Seemed like he had some kind of wiring device. I thought it was a thing from the Sopranos. I thought uh, Tony and his guy were going to take him out on a boat there. And the next thing you know, dump him in the Atlantic. Uh, and then he came back at three hits, a home run. And the Astros walk away with that series against the White Sox. And not to let it go, the Astros plunked Jose Abreu later on in the game with a big lead. So that's baseball. You hit my guy, whether it's on purpose or not, uh, well, we don't know. But well, we'll just hit your guy. And that that's the way it works. <laughs> it's been that way. I can recall one time I was coaching a 15-year-old team. Guy hits three of our guys. Three of our guys in the first two innings. I look at the pitcher, 15 years old. I look at him and said, we've had three guys hit in the first two innings. He didn't say a word, nods his head. Goes out there. Understood. Yep. <laughs> I didn't say throw at the guy. 
<laughs> and it's 15, old enough to understand the, the language of the game. All I said is, we've had three guys hit in the first two innings. He looked at me, goes out, and that pitcher came up to bat. Doink. <laughs> Not anything above the shoulders, no, but that's the way baseball is. And it'll be that way forever. And Freddie Freeman, the home run off of the uh, Brewers relief ace, what's his name, Hater. And the Braves take that series. He'd never given up a postseason home run. I know. I, I was shocked. I thought, oh, should they bring him in now because it's just tied? Would you need him later? And then he gives up the home run, lefty on lefty, and and Freeman. I was watching it. Freeman takes him deep. Freddie Freeman's the reigning MVP of the league, so he's obviously a really good player for Atlanta. And the Braves, who lost Acuna earlier in the season, I think what uh, ACL, if I remember, correct. Their best player, arguably, even though Freeman was the MVP, and so they've had some injuries, and they yeah, got to overcome them, man, and they have. And now they'll play the winner of the Giants and the Dodgers tomorrow night. I don't think there's any baseball today. Tomorrow night, 7 o'clock our time, winner take all. Should be a fun, fun game as far as that goes in the decider right there. I wish it was 7, but it's not. Next round we'll get 7, right? The next two rounds. Yeah, it goes 7 yeah, from here on out. Yeah, so I wish this would have been 5, but they didn't go in that direction. What are you going to do? So that's the big news. Obviously, Kyrie Irving is big news, too. Uh, The Nets making a decision, probably the right decision. Uh, Kyrie coming out, he wants a voice for the voiceless. This whole thing with this vaccination and non-vaccinated thing is just unbelievable to think this is where we're at in the world today. I got no answers for you. I got vaccinated. (laughs) I got no answers. Uh, I don't. I don't know what to do to tell people what to do, what not to do, and I, I just don't know what to say on that. So there you go. And the John Gruden thing in the NFL, you know, was it the tip of the iceberg? Will they find other stuff? Six hundred fifty thousand emails. The NFL doesn't want to release them. The Players Association said they should be released. Gruden's name removed from the Ring of Honor in Tampa. Then you've got others saying, well, wait a second. What about these other guys? Uh, Warren Sapp, who's had his share of legal issues. He's in there. And then, uh, what's his name? Keyshaw uh, Johnson saying that Gruden's a fraud. Then I saw Warren Sapp's, uh, Sapp's bio the captains wanted him off the team, so Gruden took him off the team. So, of course, he's going to say he's a fraud. So, you can go back and forth. Nevertheless, <clears throat> all that in mind, doesn't seem like uh, John Gruden deserved to keep his job based on the overboard nature of the stuff that he said. Female referees? Ah. <sighs> What do you care about that? What they, they got a hat on? You can't. You barely even tell. They're running around doing a job. How do you eat? female referees of all the things to pick on? I guess he picked on Eric Reed for not standing. I mean, I guess you can have an opinion on that, right? If you want to stand and you think others should stand, so be it. I was at a concert a couple of weeks ago at the state fair, and they played the national anthem. Two gals in front of me chose not to stand. I stood. I proudly stood. And I stood for their right not to stand. That's one of the reasons why I stood. And for me, any chance I view it as honoring the military, others say it wasn't about the military. Okay, but you don't have the right to tell me what I think it's about. If you don't think it's about the military, fine. I don't care. I think it is. That's my chance to honor. I never served. I've never done a darn thing for freedom that I've been given. 
Haven't served one day in the military. Are you kidding me? I've been afforded all this stuff for free. That's what I do. That's why I do it. Put my hand over my heart. But if you don't want to do it, so be it. I can live with it. Uh, I may not agree with it, but I can live with it. I also told you that the Pac-12 preseason media poll is out. Receiving, I think they had like 35 or 36 votes. 35 votes. No, excuse me, 34. 34 I, votes. I suck at math. It's okay. 32 plus 2. You think I would have come at 33, 34, man? I could have been able to do that. I didn't even extend down to my toes. So there's 34 votes. And you see Los Angeles, the Bruins, got 32 of them. It reminds me two years ago. I, the reason why I think I had 36 in my mind, because I think football, there was 36, and Utah got 34 first place votes to win the South. And what did they do? They won the South. They tied for the all-time best record. That's only 10 years or so, nine years at the time in the conference since it went to 12. They went 8-1. and one. So you wonder, are the Bruins? Now, we know they made a great run last year, knocked off the Cougars, and went all the way to the Final Four. Uh, Gonzaga beat them on a buzzer beater, didn't they? My guy Suggs. Correct. Uh, then he hit a banked in a like a running a shot, running yeah. half court. Yeah. It felt like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And they returned the bulk of their roster, so they're picked first. Oregon's got two pers- first place votes. SC third, tie at fourth. Arizona and Oregon State. Colorado sixth. Arizona State seventh. I was joking with Yock. Every time there's a poll or stat that's brought out in the Pac-12 and they list one through 12, Devil football team always finishes between five and eight. They're never at the top, but they're never at the bottom. And here in basketball, I don't follow ASU basketball nearly as much because we've got the Jazz and I've been more of a pro guy in that way growing up in the Northeast before I moved West. Uh, Devils are seventh. Washington State. Stanford 9, sitting there at number 10, ahead of Washington and Cal, are your University of Utah Utes. So not expecting a whole lot in Craig Smith's first season, which I think is fair. Uh, Maybe he can surprise. He certainly did at Utah State. We know what happened there that first year. Was absolutely awesome, right? Uh, We'll see. Uh, They've got a couple of guys that are decent. Uh, Carlson, is he ready to explode? He's put on some weight, bigger dude. He's had some great games. He can play Stanford every week or every game. He'd be All-American. I was going to say, if he can play a certain it's team. It's really crazy that he has these massive games against the Cardinal, but nevertheless, that's what he does. Nobody on Utah was picked on the first or second team all-conference. And on the first team, what do they got? they got about 10 guys. And I see one, two, three, three guys for the Bruins. And then smattering of other teams, Oregon State, Washington State, ASU, Arizona have guys. So uh, college basketball right around the corner. Hopefully they can have a full season like everybody else. It would be way fun to see that. There you go. Uh, one other thing, man. This, we talked about it a little bit. Adam Schefter, great reporter for ESPN, used to work in uh, Colorado. Uh, they, these emails... Uh, exposed that he sent a story to um, what's his name Bruce Allen Bruce Allen was yes. with, when he's running the, was he GM of Washington at the time correct basically saying hey uh, are you okay with this story is there anything I could change that's a no no in the journalism world if it's true 
You know, we just got the reports. If it's true, you're not supposed to do that. You can check with a source and say, hey, what do you think about this? Is this fact true? Is that fact true? You double check all that stuff. But you're not supposed to send your story in its completed form to anybody but your editors, people who are on the inside. Maybe you have a friend that you can send it to who's in the business. I've done that when I was, and even now, I still write for our website and, and KSL and, and then going forward, we'll see about KSL Sports when this thing happens and we get all together there, uh, whenever that may be soon, obviously, because uh, they already made the announcement. Um, I would send it to former editors like Michael Anastasi, who was a sports editor in, uh, for the Tribune, has moved on, is in Tennessee. When he's in at Tennessee, I've sent him, emailed him a copy of a piece I was working on and say, hey, what do you think about this? I've done that. I've sent it to Gordon uh, and have done that. And my peers, and before I submit it to the editor, Gordon, a phenomenal writer, he gave me tips on how to improve writing. Uh, so I would do that. that that's okay because you're doing it in-house. But you're not supposed to send it out to uh, basically a newsmaker. That, that's, that's a no-no. And, but journalism has changed so radically uh, from the time that I was there and in my heyday in that business, even though I'm still in the business, but I'm talking about the, basically the form of print journalism. So we'll see if anything develops. That's, that's not something you should be doing. I'm surprised that, that he did that. And I wonder if there's more to the story if it's not being reported completely either. So I, I'm not saying that uh, he did or didn't do it, but I'm saying the theory behind it isn't good. All right. I asked, as usual, we can have the greatest takes ever in sports. But I asked uh, Riley Jensen, who we have on every Wednesday, love the dude, love that he comes on our show, so insightful, sports psychologist. It was Daddy Daughter Donut Day. And want to take advantage of it. And your kids grow up quick, as you know. And so he was there, and I asked him, what is his favorite donut? I put three on Twitter, being jelly, glazed, or chocolate. And the responses, as usual, are overwhelming. Yeah. You guys don't want us to shut up and dribble. You want us to shut up and dribble, but yet when we do some of these screw-up things, screw-around things, you certainly have fun with it. So we'll get to that next. Close up the show and prepare you for Scotty and Hans coming up next. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Can't believe today was a good day. Ice tea? He went to Washington Prep High School where my wife taught. He was known as O'Shea Jackson back then. Yeah. My old lady and O'Shea, man, they ran in the same circles down at the Prep. 108th and Danker, South Central. I got some street cred, brother. (laughs) All true, by the way. Uh, There you go. Uh, I want to tell you about the warehouse. Join the Big Show Friday at the warehouse from 2 to 7. Price is so low, it will blow your mind. I've prepared for this for a long time. Boom. Okay. Boom. (laughs) So the feedback, you know, I talked about this Saturday. We'll get with the DJ. He'll be back tomorrow. It's just a one-day deal. He needed to take care of some biz. Uh, run it by him tomorrow, get his thought on it, see what he thinks. He's a bright dude. Saturday being Legitimacy Saturday for a multitude of reasons, and we'll explain them again tomorrow. So we talked about that, but 
I put on the question on Twitter, glazed jelly or chocolate? What is your favorite donut? Oh, how about Provo Bakery Mabel Bar is a life-changing experience? Cackling cougars cruising to the Big 12? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) By the way, I'm a lemon jelly filled kind of guy. A life-changing experience at a bakery. All right. May have to check that out to see if my life does change. I'm always up for a positive life-changing, down with a negative life-changing. Halloween beaver, he goes, or she goes, I guess. Jelly. Some guy named, the name's Hatch, Jake Hatch, in parentheses, Yawk. I was a regular customer at the Hostess Factory shop near where I grew up, and without fail, I was getting a box of those glorious beauties each time I was there. (laughs) This is a little bit of an expanded conversation. (laughs) They're the Hostess, you know those powdered donuts that have the jelly filling in the middle? Uh Those were my favorite growing up. Okay, I got you. Probably a big reason why I look as portly as I do today. Ty, you've lost 30 or 40 pounds, you said, so. I have, but, you know. Good on you right there, man. That's what matters. It's not where you're at. It's where you're going. Uh, Tom, he's going chocolate. Mitch, old-fashioned glaze. Mitch, you along the lines with Mrs. K. Old-fashioned glaze. Got to get that every time we go there. Any form of donuts. Hadn't had donuts in a while. Jason, oh, he's going with the health. You know, too many people that are saying jelly, that's not healthy. But wild turkey fart blunt of all crazy nicknames. Uh, Bavarian. All right. Dane, he's ranking them. Chocolate and then glaze. And then there's a massive chasm. What's your favorite donut? We'll also hit that with the Snickster, who I'm sure is an expert. We've got a lot to cover and a lot to eat tomorrow. So join us tomorrow at 6 o'clock, please. We would very much appreciate it, as we would if you stay tuned, because Scotty and Hands are coming up next.